Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you as ever for tuning in, for watching, for subscribing, for hitting the like button, for doing all you've done that helps this channel continue to grow so tremendously throughout this off-season period, which is usually a dead period for most channels, but not here. Not what that sign says over there on my shoulder. There is no off-season here, is there? And we are going to continue on through today. There's no real major news out there percolating. We've got another OTA about to open up, and we'll see what we can kind of get and glean from that. I know many people like to try to draw a lot of uh, certainties from these little mini camps where they're not really hitting or any really in full pads, but I don't myself. It's just hopefully nice enough that people look good enough in, pa- in how they're in their shells, and then they certainly can stay healthy. That's what we most hope for. But today, we're going to continue on with the third part This is my third part of an ongoing series in which I present the case to my fellow Seahawk 12s that we can become elite if these certain things happen next year. You are in year two of a rebuild. Theoretically speaking, you got no business being elite next year. It should still take you bare minimum according to the NFL rules that aren't written down, the unwritten rules. It it should take you a couple years to get through rebuild. But as we saw last year, we had success in the first year of it going to the playoffs. So who's to say we can't get back into, I guess, getting even past those expectations that are going to exist for us next year of, well, there'll be a playoff team, but I don't, they're not going to make that much noise beyond that. It's too early for them. They're too young. They're too green, not seasoned enough. And that may very well be the case, but there are certain things that can happen, I think, and they would have to be these specific things, I think, would have to occur for this team to become elite. I don't think, for instance, you could have an offense fall off a cliff next year and and then we're going to suddenly see a defense uh, escalate to top five state of things from where they were last year, even with maybe potentially the return of a guy like Jamal Adams into the mix of things. But... I think it has to take a certain path with these things occurring. And the first part of this series was talking about Team Amoeba, right? The offense that can become anything against anyone. Three wide receiver sets, two tight end sets, three tight end sets. What's your weakness? And we will attack it because we have the personnel uh, and the talent of personnel in order to accomplish that. Then I went back and looked at last week defensively. What will we have to do defensively to maybe raise ourselves up from being one of the worst teams in the league across the board last year defensively to maybe even getting to a middle of the road state, which is what I'm prescribing here, that you have an offense that can be elite, you can have a defense that can be middle of the road, and then we'll bring the third wheel into this in a second. But that's where I'm going to continue to build this case. I built it last year and saying, while all these naysayers are saying we have no possibility, no potential, no chance of being a playoff team because we are in year one of the rebuild. I was one of people saying, yeah, there's a, there is actually a pathway to getting this done. There is a pathway to getting into the playoffs. If these certain things happen and those things occurred, the rookie tackles playing at a league average level that occurred, you know, Gino able to operate within a, a high completion percentage, which meant he was going to move the chains and that occurred. And your running backs being able to carry the day and be an important dominant factor in what they did that occurred. So likewise, that's what I'm doing here where I look at this offseason, look at this team, and this is what's going to have to occur for us to get there. The third wheel of this is going to be the special teams, offense, top five defense, top 15 special teams, dominant. 
That's the three hallmarks of the first part of this. There's going to be some other parts and other shows that we're going to get into a little bit more of the intricacies here and the details of this from a grand picture scale of it. But these are the three parts. And special teams is one that I know is not going to get people excited. I'm not expecting this particular video to be one of my most watched live stream videos of the off season. In fact, probably one of the least so because special teams for a lot of people is a very boring part of the game. But we have to remember that it is purposefully a big portion of the Seahawks part of their game. You may not think that it matters that much, but the Seahawks do. This past offseason, I believe the first contract that they gave out was to Jason Myers, giving him a four-year deal, making him one of the highest paid kickers in the NFL, and, and a sign that we are going to invest into this special teams unit. They've already done so with Michael Dixon, first making him, I believe, a fourth or fifth round pick, and then they've signed him now to one of the bigger market deals for punters in the NFL. They're making a conscientious decision to make sure that this is a very major part of what they do. Of course, bringing back Nick Ballore too, whose really only job is mainly to be special teams person when he's not being a fullback, when he's not being a middle linebacker. But he's mainly there and he's been signed for pretty big money this off seasons for just a special teams guy, that that's kind of his only role but it's one that he's been well-suited to, and he gets a lot of tackles in that area. They always build their roster up with the guys on the back end of the roster that can, at the first and foremost, play really good special teams, almost more so than maybe the skills they bring to the football field per their you know traditional position that they play. And this has borne out really good results. Rick Goslin uh, has a website that he has posted out there where he tracks the, some of the special teams' performances, and he has put together essentially a, a way to kind of get a bottom line number, statistically speaking, on how teams play uh, as far as their special teams unit year in and year out. And so what he's done here is there are uh, the league's 32 teams are ranked in 22 kicking game categories and assigned points according to their standing, one for best, 32 for worst. So you notice with this basic final number, and I'm going to get to some of the ancillary numbers that are what helps to build this number to where it is. But what you see as a bottom line on this is that the Seahawks came out last season as the number two special teams unit in all of football. And there were a couple of reasons for that, of course. But that per, what it, what really want to show with this stat is that there is the purposeful approach by the front office to build the good to build the good to great special teams unit. And then there now you see the results of this. And I think we can all say throughout the time of Coach Carroll being here, He's more often than not put a good to great special teams unit together, and it's been purposefully so. So Seahawks were approximately, depending on what statistic you use, there's some other advanced analytic ones out there that might have them a little bit slightly different positioned, but I don't think there's anyone that wouldn't have them in, let's say, the top four last year minimum. This one happened to have them in top two, and what comprised this performance level for the Seahawks last year were these statistics here over my right shoulder. You were ninth in punting average, but you were second in punting net, which is of course the way more important punting stat than punting average. If you outkick your punt coverage and you're allowing 15, 20 yard returns, your, your kicking average looks great, but your net's going to look dog water. So punting net is really what's the most important. The guy that's hitting it both high and far and tr tr uh, directionally. So his guys can get down on the coverage unit to, to uh, cover it right. You were uh, fifth in kick return defense last year, only allowing 20.9 average per uh, return on kick returns. And of course, you can just take a knee in the end zone and get to the 25. So, uh, you know, it's little small things here that, again, I know doesn't get people super excited, but these are things that do make a difference on the team, especially when you have a unit that is elite in this aspect of things. 
Uh, field goals made. Third, Jason Myers had one of his good years. Hopefully he can sustain. He's a little bit up, a little down, a little up. His highs are really high. His lows are really low. But he was third last year in uh, field goals made. He was sixth in kicking per, uh, field goal percentage. So efficient in those field goals made. Sorry, didn't. Didn't turn off the phone first. Uh, kick return on the offensive side of this. We were ninth last year, of course, thanks to Godwin Ugabaguki, whose name I still haven't learned how to pronounce. He's not on the roster, by the way. We were wondering about that if they had, I was sure that, no, they they waved him at some point. They did indeed um, wave him at some point. They may bring him back, um, but he helped them last year, of course, with their kick return offense. Maybe a guy like um, McIntosh this year would slide into that spot. Um, DJ Dallas has actually done pretty good with it too. It's been more of an issue with DJ Dallas on the punt returns. As you can see, this is the one lone stat for the Seahawks special teams unit that was the bad stat, which is punt return. They were only 25th last year between Tyler Lockett, DJ Dallas, and maybe somebody else here or there or else mixed in, but nobody was good in doing it. Dallas looked completely lost. He just can't track the ball in the air on punt returns for the life of him. I mean, he really struggled in that respect of things. But yet this, the team was still dominant overall across the board. As I said on that first image that I showed here, this is takes into account 22 kicking statistics. Kicking defense, field goals, punts, all that stuff to comprise this kind of bottom line stat. And it is not a, a major as part of the game as offense or defense. But last year, special teams for the Seattle Seahawks comprised 20% of your total plays. So there is a chunk there that this does make a difference. And the, the part that opened my eyes on this when looking at some of these statistics for next year and the teams that we play next year, if you take the Seahawks schedule and you take that rankings list that I just showed you and you go through that rankings list and you pull out the opponents from last year and their special teams performance and how well they did, you come to find that next year's allotted opponents are actually going to be really fairly low. They actually, their, their, their mean, their average mean is 18th last year in this bottom line special team stat. So you're going to be playing league average to league worst teams while you yourself will have a dominant unit if it holds to type, if it fits to what's on paper, if it fits to what it's been the past couple of years. And this provides another measure along with the rest of what you're doing with the team that can give you that pathway that then opens up to becoming elite. It's not any one thing. It's not the offense just carrying the day all the way through. It's the offense under my situation here of carrying the day through to a degree, but the defense being opportunistic, having a nose for the ball, having a nose for the big play, being willing at times maybe to play a little bit more of those pressure-based looks, getting a little bit more on the outside man-based rather than the zone-based that they've been somewhat obsessed with over Carroll's time with here. And then now the special teams comes in and plays at that dominant level. On top of that, you round those things together and you have the core, to me, to getting to an elite season next year. This is what it would, this is the, the form it would take to me if it's going to get there here in year two of a rebuild because it is a little bit hard. Those people that say, you're in year two of the rebuild. You have a roster that's mainly comprised of first and second year players at that point. Those don't tend to be rosters that can get themselves to an elite place, especially when you have just simply, even if it is only just these two teams, the Niners and the Eagles that are right in the middle of their window, essentially. You know, they're they're there right now without that youth so thoroughly embedded into their roster that they're having to, you know, you do pay the price for that a little bit. You know, it helps having guys that have a little bit more time. But then we come back to the final point of this being, because I've said a few more times in these shows, just you have Coach Carroll, who has a very good understanding how to get a lot out of a young roster. And then that maybe gives you a little bit more confidence on the back end of this saying, well, but hey, he's he's the one type of coach out there that if you have a young roster, 
and you're going, man, we got a young roster as stacked up with as much talent as any team in the NFL right now. Who's the one coach in this NFL? Is there Who's the one sniper-like fired shot that I can make to hit that one coach that's the right head coach to run this kind of roster with this kind of youth? How would you not come around to Coach Carroll with his pedigree and his history? And that's where I, I get a little bit more of the, well, he can get that from that. And is there a lot of, op- is there optimism on my standpoint to say the offense could be top five? Yeah, but I think there's a lot of realism with it too. I broke down for you guys on the show a couple of weeks ago of all the, the statistical markers and all the projections that you could look at with this team, the, the fact that they're going to be more talented next year. The fact that it's not just going to be a, a chasm at the slot role as it was for most of the year last year as Eskridge didn't step forward, as Goodwin went down to his injury. And that's filled in as the offensive line gets a little bit better. And the defense doesn't have to be top 10. Defense doesn't have to be top five in my, in my scenario. I think if you have a top five offense, a top five 15 defense, and then you have a top three special teams unit, if I put that together as a basic formula, and I know we're taking this down to very simplistic level, but I think you can do so at a certain point with this stuff too. Where that does met out to you then a team that potentially can be elite. Does it need a couple of other breaks to come forward? Yeah. Is there some other things that need to occur in this scenario? Because I'm not going to be done here with just this being, this year's the special teams. Here's what you got to do and go for it. And there's going to be some other things that got to break our way. There's going to be another trade that I think John Schneider's going to have to make at some point to top off the tank. But if these things come together in this manner, then I do believe this team has absolutely a pathway to getting to being elite, especially with the way we've seen now the schedule unfurl for us. There's the tough period and the tough road about 60% of the way into the schedule there, right? We got a, a tough four game stretch that's pretty, pretty rough. There are good to number 10 a.m. games. But to me, those opponents that you were on the line with 50-50 on in the battle of, hey, if this is played on the road, maybe you don't win this one. But if we get to play this at home, we're not having travel. Then I feel a little bit better about that game. I have a little more confidence we can pull that out. Then we went through that with the breakdown of the schedule release that me and Brennan did a couple of weeks ago. But I think this is the path, folks. This is where you get to, to seeing this team uh, take this form. And the special teams unit's one that's forgotten about. But between its dominance, between the fact that the teams you're playing aren't doing very well in that aspect of things, that they're porous in that angle, so now you can take even further advantage. Your strength is even more strengthened. That, to me, can make it have that much more impact on the football field, 20% of the snaps in total or not. And uh, I think we've, we felt the benefit last year of that special teams unit. I hope they, they helped to contribute us to get into the place that we got to last year and all the top of the stuff. No, no one unit's carrying the day here. You build, you're building a football team. And some, some teams can get around it. Some teams can just be so dominant in some other areas. I mean, at the bottom of this given list that I'm showing you right here, you've got the Eagles and the Chiefs. Because they can be so dominant in certain other areas that they can overcome not being as good in this standpoint of things. But I don't think Seahawks are going to be as dominant in those other areas to not be able to do that. And that's okay because they've set the stage for it to be a dominant unit through the investment that they've made into it. By the way that Coach Carroll sets up his roster, which is he's going to have a couple of good gunners. He's going to have guys that are going to play 100 miles an hour in special teams at the forefront because that's the value he places on it. And he understands, and it's one that I do agree with him on, that you you do get the values back on this. I don't know if I want to be paying both my punter and kicker huge money, along with my special teams maven. <laughs> we might, might be going a little bit overboard there, but I can't argue with the results. Can't argue with the returns. They were there last year, and they've been here throughout the time with Coach Carroll for the most part. 
and that's helped us win a lot of football games, and it will continue to help us win football games into the 2023 season. These three things happen. Offense top five, you know, five plus top 15 plus top three equals to me an elite football team in 2023 for your Seattle Seahawks. It just comes down to almost being as simple for, for me as that. There's a couple other things. There'll be a couple other shows with a couple of other, just get these last little things that are, are going to be just almost as instrumental and I think as important as these first couple of parts uh, of these few uh, three sh- these first three shows I've done kind of trying to, to make this case to you guys. But these are at the forefront. These We check these boxes off to me. I think we can get there. Let's see what you guys think. We're going to be doing a, I know I always say this a quick show, but it will be a quick show today. We're going to be doing about a two and a half hour show today. And then I'm going to be bouncing over to my baseball channel and we're going to be doing the Crow's Nest live stream over there. So this will be a little bit of a, a double, double side today. Okay. We're going to be doing a little bit of both, both sides of this, but uh, appreciate everybody watching and who is over in the channel here today, please do hit that like button. I know it's uh, definitely off season. We're drifting into summer. So we're going to be getting a little bit of the lighter, uh, the lighter viewership and no worries about that. We've had some still great, absolutely tremendous traffic. I just want to let you guys know we've had the most growth here in the last 28 days than we've ever had in this channel's history. So this draft was amazingly successful, but I want to thank all the new subscribers, all the people who hit the like button throughout that time. Everything you guys have done in that respective things has had an effect. And we're seeing the returns on this with the algorithm. You know, we've got the algorithm tricked. You know what I mean? We've got the hypnotic hawk's nest must be posted everywhere. So well done to you guys out there. Thank you for all that. And uh, appreciate you guys on that. It's been just uh, very heartening to see. It's awesome to see the uh, the way that this thing's kicking into gear. And uh, we're, we're on a rise here, folks. We're going. Uh, please do hit that like button though now if you guys do get that chance. And also uh, sub on up if you're not already subbed up. Devo, what's up? Megan Gawk Rogers is uh, two days to go. And you know what I'm talking about. Two days to go, Megan. We're in the final 48. Final 48. Bring back the Sonics is right, Devo. I rock this shirt. I got to get a new one because this one's starting to get worn down a little bit. But uh, I, I want to see my Sonics back. You know, you see this at any time I turn on the playoffs at NBA, it's kind of like just longingly. <sighs> Remember when we had the Sonics? Remember when there's Kirk Calabro? Marquez Johnson? I miss the days. Hey, how's it going, Adam? Adam says, uh, I need to be caught up. How many drafts do we have? How many drafts? Oh, 10. Yeah, we have 10 draft picks, Adam. 10 picks. Sam Dog, the infamous in the house. What's up, Sam Dog? Officially booked for week four, going to both the Sunday night game between the Mets and Chiefs and the Seahawks-Giants game the next night. And we ain't losing that Giants. Go Hawks. I saw Sam. I, sorry, I haven't had a chance to respond to you on Facebook. I saw you. You got on me about uh, predicting a loss for our Hawks there. And uh, hey, you know, I mean, I didn't like predicting it. Um, but, you know, I hope knowing you're going to the game that our Hawks are able actually to pull it off. So, and uh, fun fact, guys, I've been filming... I've been putting it together. I got to just edit it together. I have Pumpkin's picks for the season filmed. So she predicted the whole schedule. I've got it locked in. I'm going to be posting that to the channel here fairly soon. So we'll see how her psychic abilities, you know, she's sleeping right now. You can see she's building up on the psychic energy. So I think you guys will like her picks. She did pretty good. She did pretty good, I think. Uh, but it's good to see you, Sam Dog. And I hope we, uh, hope we do not lose that game. I hope we do not. Weather should be really nice there in New York at that time. 
Uh, Preston, thank you for the $10 donation. Appreciate you, Preston. Hope you're having a good night, brother. Says, thanks for all your great content. Sweet t-shirt. Well, thank you, man. I was out there today at the gym, balling out, just thinking about the Sonics a little bit at the time with, you know, some of the old days. And it's like, man, I feel bad for the youth here in Seattle that's growing up without a, because I know that basketball is really important part, kind of an underrated important part of the region. And um, I think everyone says we're going to get it back by 2025 with Vegas and us getting the expansion. We'll see. But I'd like to get it. Sucks that we don't have the team. Sucks that, you know, you're just like, ugh. Oklahoma City ain't doing anything. We just, Oklahoma City should just give them back. You guys didn't do nothing with them. You've had it for a decade. Give it back. The lease is up. Mega says, uh, Hawks Nest B, Cosell on the great Zorn versus Craig debate. And go. There's no greater debate in NFL history amongst fan bases. Not Steve Young or Joe Montana. Not Joe Namath or Mark Sanchez. No, sir. There is only one eternal debate confounding one fan base, and that is the Dave Craig Jim Zorn intestinal debate. Infantestimal debate that cannot be solved. One generation against another, fan on fan, brother on brother. Who will win? Who is the better quarterback? No one really knows. And I, for one, this announcer is staying out of it. Uh, Preston says, looking forward to the season. Can't wait to see the team grow together. Me neither, man. Young teams are fun teams. They fly around. They throw their bodies around. They're, they're going to be fast. They're going to be loose. They're going to be free. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an energized crew. Uh, Jets and Chiefs. Oh, okay. There we go. Jets and Chiefs. That'll be a good game. Rodgers and Mahomes. There we go, Sam. He picked a good one. Let's see. Go Hawks 22 says, hope, uh, better hope they do not move game time or even date. Flexing is becoming more and more. Won't book road games any longer that's true yeah flex flexing is definitely going to hurt those folks who do those travel stuff that's very true and uh, we'll see how it's getting more opened up uh that does make it tougher you know there's a little bit of that that i low-key like though because i don't know no i don't like that certainly gonna be nicer getting some better primetime games because there's been some stinkers but it, it does suck for the fan base Mazes, I must admit, I'm very nervous about this season. I know we had the second best draft in recent years, but something is nagging at the back of my mind that we may not do as well as we hope. There's a little bit of what I talked about with this that I think people have to be aware of, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to prepare folks for in anticipation of if this happens, don't necessarily react like this. And I'm, I'm not saying right now that this is going to be an elite team next year. That's not what the series is trying to accomplish. Much like last year, you know, it wasn't for me to say last year that I thought the team was going to be a playoff team, but this is the pathway they would take to getting there. And I, I still had the team as being good on my final prediction. I think I was two wins off on where they were. I think I had eight wins for the final marker and they got 10. So I was two wins off on my prediction. But I, I it, it's that, yeah, there is also a path here where we don't necessarily get to that spot of things. You know, where the record, the schedule becomes really tough. And you have a little bit worse injury situation than you had last year. And the young guys 
aren't quite ready to go next year, especially the rookies. You know, they take they may take that extra year that rookies usually do tend to take to get themselves turned around. And, you know, you, you kind of go through all that a little bit and you come out the wash of it and, you know, the team's not necessarily better record-wise, but they're still taking steps forward at that point in progression, in my opinion. This is still a team built now for the long term and that you may get those returns early. 2012, for instance, we got those returns early, right? Team just started to kind of turn that corner there. Just kind of turn the corner there. And then at that point in time, you're like, ooh, we might be going to the Super Bowl in 2012. The end of that season, you said, you're ready to roll. And they couldn't quite get over the, the top of the mark, right? But things started to get together a little bit earlier than you maybe have anticipated coming into that year as you were starting to feel like, okay, Carol's building a team here now. You got this rookie Russell Wilson coming in here. We're going to probably have to wait a year on it. But things can stack in a way where they can break right. But to your point, Megan, I want people to also not necessarily be in this bailing off Schneider, bailing off Carroll approach to things purely if the results don't bear out. If if it's that we're watching bad football in the football field, you know, or players that aren't aren't um, progressing, uh, we can start to cover some of that stuff a little bit more, you know, greater in in yes, maybe attack going. Hey, is this right coaching wise? Is this right? Okay, maybe there. But if it's just a matter of we have dealt with some more injuries this past year than we had the, the year before, let's say, and this or the schedule got tougher, and we just ran through a lot of opponents that were playing at their best football. You know, these things can happen in football. These things can affect and impact teams that are really talented and playing actually pretty good football. It's just that they're going up against maybe a bit of a monster at that moment. Um, we'll see how it goes. But I think you're right to be nervous. It's potentially there, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to carry through at the end of the day on it. Um, again, thank you for Preston for that $10 dono, brother. You're really awesome. Appreciate you. Kevin Mullen, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, thoughts on the mandatory third quarterback rule? Love the show. Well, thank you, Kevin, man. Appreciate the love. Love right back to you, man. Um, mandatory quarterback rule is a no-brainer. The Niner playoff game against the Eagles last year caused this rule to be put into place because they were at a place, remember, in that game where you had Christian McCaffrey on the sideline warming up to be the QB, and uh, the NFL does not want that. Certainly doesn't want that in a playoff game. Uh, why not? Why, why not have, you know, make sure you've got a run of quarterbacks that could be on the field at any time. And so this was one that the NFL is smart to anticipate this a little bit better on, I think. Um, it's also one that could be activated a little bit more readily when you have uh, certain teams out there like your Baltimore Ravens or like your Philadelphia Eagles or like your Giants even that will run the read option thing with their quarterback they're putting their quarterback out for a little bit of a more higher chance of getting hurt at that point and then going to your second string and then your second string gets hurt. And now there's bam, you're doing the third string really quickly suddenly. Uh, so it's happened in NFL history enough. I've, I've seen it pop up from time to time that there's no reason you should make or force teams to be in that position. It only hurts the product on the field by trying to restrict teams to this two quarterback thing and just saying dealing with it, or you have to kill one of your roster spots in order to accommodate the third quarterback normally, which just does hinder you really, really significantly in, in keeping the rest of your roster stocked up in the, in the way that you need to. Preston, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. I really do appreciate it. By the way, for the members of the channel, we're going to be doing a, a radio. I'm going to be kind of doing it like a, I think we we'll do it like a Monday show here soon on the regular with the hope of expanding eventually out into doing like three or four days a week. It'll be really quick shows, use a half hour to an hour of pop, just kind of covering certain subjects. But uh, we'll be doing that with the members of the channel here. So I'll be getting that going um, this next kind of week. You'll look for an announcement um, to the members of the channel. I'll be posting a video probably tonight or tomorrow. 
in regards to an update on that. I've been planning on wanting to do that for a while and just have not gotten to it. But thank you for becoming a member. Appreciate you, Preston. Um, Orthodox Russ, without special teams, Nick Bloor wouldn't have been would have been out of the league five years ago. Correct. Correct. But he's done something that there's been guys in history that have done that have made their way in historically speaking without really doing much in the league as far as the position group. If you're good enough, if you really stand out in that respect, if you're a difference maker in that respect, you can remain in the league. Because there's not a lot of guys that want to play special teams. And then there's not a lot of guys that want to play special teams and be great about it. You know, uh, but if you got a guy really, truly committed to it, he can have that impact like, you know, Nick's been able to have. He's been able to find that role, you know. <clears throat> uh, Preston says, I'm super pumped about the team. Feels like the first time since the Super Bowl that we are young and competitive again. Maybe we still have room to grow, but the culture is back. Culture is back, man. Well put. I, I can't really add more than what you had to say on that with it, where I, I think that they're absolutely back onto the right path. They're competitive. They're young. They're, uh, the roster is as well-stocked as we've seen in 10 years uh, as far as the talent goes. Um, I, it's hard not to look at the team and go, they're on. They're going in the right direction. There's some things that you can pick at that I think that, because I know there's already a few people, I'm sure, in the chat going, well, there's this and that. that they're, yeah, there's a couple things that is not perfect, but they're on the right road. And this team, if it's not going to get to being elite by next year, it will be elite in the near, the near future. Amari Taylor says, I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. Something tells me we're going eight and nine. We got Megan and uh, Amari with a little bit of hesitancy. And I get that. I get that completely. You guys might be right on this. There's a couple of, as I say, here's a pathway for us getting elite, but there is a pathway for us to be middling or around the same mark we were last year. And that's not necessarily born out of a bad thing that, well, we, we've just taken a back, you know, our, our coaching staff's gone backwards. The young guys aren't developing forward. It might not be all that stuff. That stuff might be, we'll make the dissertation of what is what at that time. And we'll, we'll do the autopsy and pick it all apart. No doubt about it. But it also could be just your, your, your injury situation wasn't great last year. Your was pretty good last year. Overall, it wasn't beautiful, but compared to recent years where you've been league worst or one of the most injured teams in all the NFL. You know, whenever they would show the stat over the past couple of years of the teams that missed the most games due to injury, Seahawks are always up at the top of that mark. I don't think they were as high last year, not in the top five range as much. What if we go back there again? You know, that's tough. What if the schedule's a lot tougher? I think the schedule was pretty pretty easy last year. One of the easier ones we've, we've dealt with in recent years. So there could be some regression to the mean here as far as us taking it back. But that doesn't mean, again, that it isn't the team that's talented or that is still moving forward. Even if the record's going backwards, the team is, to me, still pro- going forward and um, progressing. I thought I turned my phone off. It didn't. Uh, herbicide, early show today. I like it. You got to change it up a little bit, Herbicide. You know what I mean? Got to mix it up a bit. I meant to get on last night, but uh, I ended up uh, just needing to do a family day yesterday, so... Herbicide's got 11 and six. We're a better team than last year. Agreed. I think we are no doubt about a better team. That's for sure. No doubt. Josie, between two blurs is a much watch. He's pretty good with it. What's up, D-boy? Hope you're doing well. Joe's got us 11 and six, 12 and five. Love the optimism there. Preston says play out. Obviously, I'd love to see a deep playoff run, but watching the young players grow into the next generation of Seahawks is exciting. Very exciting. 
Very exciting. As long as those guys are progressing next year, that's really at the fourth. We, I want to see us elite, but I'm going to be happy to be understanding and be patient with this thing because it is so young. It's rich in talent, but it's very young. And that takes usually takes some time for this stuff to mature a little bit. Marcus says, but if Gino falls off, then yeah, it's going to be bad for us. That would definitely be bad if Gino fell off. That would be. I'm kind of where herbicide is on this to a degree, though, with it where I go, okay, he falls off by having more than he had last year, by having his job made easier. He's worse. That's the one I, I, I don't, and I know he had the back end of his season where it wasn't as good as the start, but the reasons for that were also kind of explainable more than just saying, well, he just kind of threw up on himself on the back of the season. Not really. It was that you couldn't consistently get a running game going anymore because your running backs got torched. You know, they all ended up in the infirmary. And then your offensive line wasn't pass protecting as well through the back half of the year. You know, Lucas was dealing with, I think, a knee injury. Gabe Jackson was barely pulling his body anywhere anymore. Austin Haynes was done. You know, the, there was kind of an explanation for that regression that goes beyond just him just going, well, they figured me out now. My little run's up. It was a good run. Team is definitely ascending. That's right, Joe. Herbicide, I wonder who's going to be our return guy. It's a very good question. Um, and I'll tell you, if, if you could find a way to bring back Godwin Ugabuki, and you're getting a guy that's, you know, once a game, going to pop you off a 42, 43, 44-yard return, if not more, that would be pretty valuable if you can bring him in on like a vet minimum deal. And I feel like roster-wise, you'd love to f figure that out. I know you've got the four running backs already in place. You've got your receivers kind of set. You don't really want to add an extra of any of those spots. And so it's going to get very hard to hold him in on the roster. But he was so good in that capacity. Now, DJ Dallas is solid uh, as far as the kick return goes. But DJ Dallas is absolutely Stevie Wonder back there when he's trying to return punts. I, I, it's, uh, it's, so, it's so freaky watching him track a ball in the air. He does that thing that you, when you watch a baseball and outfielder do that, you just you go, it, okay, come on, catch it. You know, with their, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> turn back and run 30 yards back the, at the last minute and go get the ball, like lock in. You know, they just, they, he just doesn't have that feel for the position. So who's going to be it on that? I don't know. I think early prediction is, it's not Dallas doing the kick returns. Kenny McIntosh will definitely be in there with him. I I checked on Kenny McIntosh. He didn't do any punt returning out of Georgia. So he doesn't have that in his game. Somebody's going to have to step forward to do the punt return stuff. Who that is, I'm not too sure. That That's, and as I showed on this stat right here from earlier, you were great. As far as all the major statistical special teams markers you could go through from punting average, punting net, kick return, field goals, field goal percentage, kick, kick return offense and defense, the one place you were bad special teams wise, the one hole in your game was punt return. And it has continued to be one in recent years. This was not a one-off last year. We've been going back for a few years since Tyler stopped doing the duties a couple of years ago to where we've just not found somebody that can do it well, consistently, sure-handedly. Uh, giving you any kind of returns with it. Um, we, as much as anything right now, we just need a guy that can fair catch 
the ball, track it and fair catch it almost because that's, uh, just give me that. Because how many times Dallas did we have where he'd come up short and then the ball be kicked over his head and then you get a roll afterwards or he's back and then they kick it up close and then it gets a roll. Punters were kind of messing with him on it last year. Thank you, Megan. Proud of you guys too. It's been a great community we got going here. Lee Boy says, let's go. Can't wait for the Mariners show. We'll be going uh, 645 tonight on the Mariners. Faux show. Herbicide, I'm not even sure if Eskridge makes the team at this point. I don't think he does. I don't. I'm going through right now, working on my UDFA video uh, for the, that's going to be the next kind of draft video, the deal that I drop here. And uh, going back and looking at Matt Landers and Bobo, <laughs> there's, there's so much more. They're both kind of feel more further along as just receivers and doing the route running and the pace of their routes and you know Bobo at the stem of his route how he comes out of his cuts and Landers how he can challenge with the speed on the outside and still is really good at the undercutting routes and so where you know he's not just a guy who goes up takes the top off but he can't run the sharp enough routes or drop his hips enough to come back on the comeback routes that stuff's on his tape too I, I don't know how he ends up over the top of either of those two guys. And I don't know if either of those two guys even make, there's room for both of those two guys to make the roster. There might only be one room for one to make the roster. The issue too with Eskridge is that he doesn't play special teams. Can't punt return, can't kick return. You got to put him up in, you know, behind some glass to make sure that he's protected. So I, I don't know either. I'm not trying to hate on the guy. I just don't know how he's going to get there with this team at this point. He better be having the offseason of his life, I'll tell you that. His football life, his football life might depend on it. Orthodox Russ, Kevin Calaveral, one of the best, right there with Kneehouse. Right there with Rabel. Calaveral is great. Joe says, totally agree on the B, B on the season outlook. Schedule actually not terrible, but need to stay healthy. Health is going to be a big key. It's it's a thing you say with every year, and that and and it's certainly true with every team um, that it's at the forefront where health does does bear out a big part of it. But you got the teams that aren't very talented; they can be super healthy, and they're still not going to be very good. This team, if it can stay healthy, if it can avoid that, it's that that thing that was happening almost on a yearly basis. And many of you guys used to joke that it was you you know Ivan the terrible our strength and conditioning coach with his track record where he's been at times and how much he's just, sometimes the guys have gotten beat to hell uh, under his watch at different programs like USC and University of Washington prior to him coming here to Seattle. But last year was an anomaly where you were a little bit different. And if they can stay into that same kind of healthy state, if they have a kind of similar year to last year, let's look at offensively, really, you know, you, you lost Penny for the year, which was tough, but you're always going to probably lose somebody offensively over the course of the year for the season on that side. And Jamal was a real tough one, certainly. But then outside of Jamal, right? Well, well you got guys that dinged up here and there. Shelby Harrison in and out of the lineup a little. Al Woods in and out of the lineup a little bit. That's for sure. Uh, Jordan Brooks at the end of the year with the torn ACL. But overall, it was pretty good. Corner stayed out there. Quandre was out there for every game. Your offensive line, I think all your rookies except for Lucas on one or two games started out there for you at tackle. So you had a little bit better luck last year. Maybe it's just Ivan Terrible's finally figured it out. He's like, I will stop hitting them with board with nail. 
this is the way not to do. I will stop hitting them in Achilles with board with nail, exposed with rust. Megan says, Pumpkin better have the Ravens as a win or I won't send her the surprise I'm looking to get her. <laughs> I forget what she picked on the Ravens one. I can't remember it. She broke my heart in a couple of them. But I think overall, the schedule looked good from Pumpkin's standpoint. Uh, Megan says, if the Seattle can get the Kraken as an expansion team, there's no way in hell we can't get the Sonics uh, brought home. If Seattle, I hope so, Megan. It's time. NBA's messed around enough with this stuff. I don't want to hear about, oh, it's a tough market right now for us. We just can't really, you know, give me a break. You should have done with us like the Cleveland's Browns had done. We should have had that same treatment where the second that the the darn Ravens moved out of uh, out of Cleveland and went out to, you know, Baltimore, the second that occurred, the NFL was right on top of it. Like, no, this is a committed fan base. We can't do them dirty like that. And this, the second that occurred, they went right back in. We'll have your Cleveland franchise right back to you. We'll have it right back to you. Don't worry. Same colors, all that stuff. You just, here you go. You guys will have that back to you. Don't worry about it. We will, I know what he did. I know what the bad man did. I know what the bad man did. We're going to make it go away. Nobody's making it go away with our Sonics. They're all, the crimes occurred and everybody's just kind of standing there shrugging. Well, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll get, we'll get you a team when we can. I don't know. At some point. We'll get to it. I don't know, 10, 25, 26, 27, I don't know. some point, you in Vegas. Why, why, us and, why is that we got attached to Vegas? We got to do two. If we do, okay. Uh, Sam says, yep, going to two primetime games in one week in New York. So I'm super excited to go to the Rodgers versus Mahomes and the Seahawks-Giants game that next night. I'm going to have one heck of a football weekend. Oh, you are, man. It's good times being in New York too, watching a game. You get out after a game, you can go do whatever you want. You know, go down to Manhattan, right? Go find something to eat anywhere you want to go at, out at that point. That was one of the cool things with the Super Bowl once that was ended up being in New York was just going out in the streets and, you know. Hopefully, too, you, uh, the, there's the um, Manhattan. They got the Seahawks bar in Manhattan, too. Forget the name of it out there, Sam Dog, but you should definitely go check that out because that place was pretty live when I went. Green Bay's got the draft in 2025. Mark says, 14 and three deep in the playoffs, two great drafts in a row, like and sub for this hard working man. Thank you, Mark. Please do, if you uh, haven't already, hit that like button and sub on up. I really do appreciate it if you would. Um, Grug, are you all at all concerned about Woolen not showing up to OTAs? No. Not really as much. I know that this has been something caught in the Brock and Salk show, bringing this up recently with, for instance, the Jamal Adams deal. And, um, you know, OTAs are certainly something that you would uh, would love to have your guys all show up for. But as long as they show up in shape and they're taking care of themselves and doing everything they can, then that's great. Um, the NFL has decided uh, that they are okay with these players having these voluntary camps, you know, and the, the players essentially decided, well, we're going to give up less money so that we don't have to practice as hard. And that's, that's what the players got in return. And the NFL owners could have come back at that and said, you know, we're going to give you guys, we don't want that. We want more money. So we have more practices so we have a better product on the field, but the owners didn't determine to do that. And so this is kind of the way the reality of this playing out, if it's going to be elective and optional, you know, guys are going to treat it like that, I think. Um, and with Woolen, 
you know, I mean, some of this is probably a little bit of he's got to get through this three year window here until he can get to where he's paid, where I'm sure there's a little bit of protecting your body in this too. And, you know, one to just be careful, you know, maybe a little bit, I don't know, but I'm not really going to, I don't think it has any real bottom line effect on the season when it comes out like, well, Woolen's just not anywhere the same as he was last year. If only he had gone to OTAs. I don't think we'll be saying that. Sam, the dog, the infamous is pumpkin, the cat. Pumpkin is the uh, cat or an unofficial mascot here at the Hawks Nest. So I, Sam dog, I had a, uh, let me show you. this isn't for you i'm not doing this for you you can you can just you can just go back to sleep so sam dog one of the subs space shout out to space sent me one of these and so i uh, i went out to the end of my hall and there's a card in this from every every nfl team and so i set up at the end of the hall the cards set up standing up and then i put two dishes out with salmon on it and i put the salmon in front of the two cards and then i took the cat back to the other end of the room set her down and let her just pick at that point. And then I went bam, 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 right through the schedule. So I got it all filmed. I'm just cutting it together now. And you guys will see what pumpkin, we're gonna try to see if uh, John Constantine was right and cats are indeed in two worlds at one, any one time, you know. We'll see if they truly are psychic. Uh, Megan says, I'll admit be that I am an overthinker due to my anxiety disorder, but this is the most nervous I've ever been in the preseason for as long as I can remember. Not sure why. And may, may need you to talk me down. I think it's expectation level, Megan. It's that you see a team that's starting to assemble potential greatness here. And does it come together this fast or is it going to take a little bit of time? And uh, I'm going to be just as nervous as you are about that. I, I think we're on, that's why I'm trying to get a little bit out ahead of maybe the, some of the folks' expectation level if they go over the top with it, where it's, it doesn't come out to what we think it's going to be in this given year. And that then from that, you got people jumping overboard, so to speak, or off the bandwagon, I guess, is the better way to put it. But that's why I say, well, we'll have to be, I think, patient with that. If the team comes out and wins three games or something, then that's a whole nother conversation probably. But if they come out and they're at eight or nine or 10 wins like last year, it doesn't mean that the team is stalled out, plateaued, or that they're now regressing. It just means that there was, this was a year that, you know, you're not quite getting as much of the returns to the young guys, but you're, the talent's there. The, the picks that you're going, the returns from these picks, from having these two drafts run by value at the forefront, those returns will come. And it may take a little bit more time, but it's, it's like that stock you invest in that's not necessarily the volatile up and down one, but the one that you know, I've invested in this and I look back at this thing in two years from now and I'm gonna be like, woo, right? But I might also get some of those returns in that next year. That's how I look at it, Megan. You know, it's, it is your route to that rebuild and that's maybe a little bit of the way I get the, uh, the calm in this upcoming year, though I'm gonna be right with you for most part. JL says, I think our offense is better now than in 2012. I'm going through in my mind right now, JL. I think you bring up a really good, interesting point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you could make that as a, a pretty solid argument. Your tight end room is better, first off. We know that. Uh, wide receiver room is probably equivalent. If you, especially if you're operating from the standpoint of a lot of that year, you were without Sidney Rice and Percy Harvin. 
I mean, you had those guys going in, but they weren't there for much of the time. Um, but it's a, let's just call it equivalent. Uh, Okung and Cross, that's a wash. Lewis Carpenter, probably Lewis. That's probably about a wash. Center's worst with Unger. Right guard, you might be a little bit better with right guard. Right tackle, you'll be better than Breno Giacomini for sure. And while Marshawn was good as your running back one, Walker, Charbonnet, McIntosh, Homer is better than the whole totality of what you had as the running back room at that time. And Gino certainly is going to play better statistically and performative-wise than what Russ did in his first year in 2012. I think, yeah. As I go through it on Jano, I think you're right. Great stuff, man. Derek says, uh, who's your favorite player on the Hawks? Also, opinion on Geno Smith. Uh, Derek, my favorite player on the Hawks right now is DK Metcalf. And um, I, I think that he still is on his ascent, still a young player. I think he's actually kind of underrated by the fan base um, because there's a lot of people that come in my chat that really do kind of throw shots at him at times. And I don't think it's always fair. Um, but it's a guy that I could see breaking out here this upcoming year. And, and a guy that does everything you kind of want from your football player, this guy does. He goes out there and he does the, the, the glamour stuff, the, at least as far as the receiver goes. Let's just look at it through that, through that view. He goes out and gives you all the things you want from a receiver. He commands double teams. He can take the top off the defense. He's, he's good on yak. Um, he's definitely got, at times, some bad drops, but the drops are a little overstated. They're not like worse of the worst. He's not like the... Uh, consistently the top five worst, you know, wide receivers in the league that drops. He's always on that list. No, 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 no. And um, you got that, then you got him blocking like a, a demon every time, just absolutely trying to impose his will and be a bully out there, which is exactly what I want my receivers to do. I want you to go at those cornerbacks that don't want to tackle. I want you to go at those corners like Trayvon Diggs. that just want to go get their interceptions. You know, I want you to get on them all dog game long. Play up to the whistle. Play up to the line. Wear, wear them out. Get them by the third and fourth quarter, not wanting any part of it anymore. And he brings that on top of being this physical powerhouse beast of a player, on top of still being young, on top of being uh, one of the most prolific wide receivers in the sport as far as the yards and touchdowns, receptions he's gotten before the age of 25. So I, I'm... I do. I get drawn back again and again to to DK, and um, I I know he's not perfect, but uh, I think he's going to be a guy that eventually, when he's all said and done, has a has a real shot and a potential of getting on a, a Hall of Fame potential trek here. And I know people are waiting for that big breakout year, but I I ride with DK. I do. Uh, my opinion on Geno Smith is uh, Geno Smith is certainly a, 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 I think a top fifteen quarterback in this league, probably even a top 10 um, quarterback in this league, given where the position's at right now and the fact some of the older guys are getting older and out of the league and the younger guys are kind of getting rising up now on their ascent. But I think that even at a top 10, top 15 level, what's nice about this is you're taking a quarterback who's got that as his skill set and then you're providing him with maybe the most talented supporting cast of a roster on that side of the ball as any quarterback has in the entire NFL. And that, in my opinion, is one of the big drivers for success at the position, more so than talent. I'm not a believer in the Jordan principle as it applies to quarterbacks. Yeah, there's those Mahomes and Burrow types that can do it, but those are one or two guys in the whole sport that do it like that. More often than not, 
the quarterbacks, just like running backs, are going to be subjective to their supporting cast. And if the supporting cast sucks, they're probably going to suck. And if their supporting cast is great, it doesn't necessarily ensure they're going to be great, but it puts them in a much better opportunity, in my point, in my opinion, to shine. And that's the place Geno's going to be put in this upcoming year, Derek. So uh, I think it's going to sustain here this year, what he did last year. I think he'll be back up around 70% as far as a completion percentage, especially with JSN in here and all of those easy completions that he's going to have out of the slot. Um, a lot of those 70% completion percentage last year was on the back of throwing outside the hash marks on some pretty high-level, high high-difficulty high type throws because um, he was trying to work DK and Tyler, rightfully so. So I think he sustains. I don't think he's a star. I don't think he's a top five guy. I don't... I don't think he's probably a top six guy, but uh, definitely think he's a guy who edges right in there in that top five place of things for what he's going to provide. Uh, Derek says, mine's Metcalf. We're alike, man. We're alike on that one. And I do like Gino too, man. I, 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 I do like him. Herbert Herbicide, we says, re-signed Artie Burns. Why? Gives you depth in, at camp herbicide. If you have uh, some kind of injury that you sustain, that you can, you know, have a, a qualitative just veteran that you can bring in there that knows what you want to do, you know, understands the coverages you want to run, understands the culture. There's a little bit of value to that, but there's also more likely than not here herbicide that I don't think he makes the team. You're going to be Woolen, Woolen Bryant, Witherspoon, Jackson, Trey Brown. That gives you five corners. Yeah, so one, Brian, Jackson. I feel like I counted a guy extra. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so five. Uh, so you're at five corners right now. That's about what you're going to carry on the active roster. So he's he's not going to beat out Kobe Bryant. He's not going to beat out maybe Trey Brown. We don't know where Trey's at right now, Herbert said depending on where he's at on his rehabilitation. So just, just he's, a, he's there for competition. Because if you think about it, herbicide, once you get past those five guys, there's not a lot behind those guys pushing them. There's a lot of competition for the number two role behind, you know, with Witherspoon there, right? Though Those guys will be battling it out there and there's good depth behind them. But there's not a lot of competition for actually the number, for the number fifth spot on the roster at the cornerback position. That would, that's where it's probably a little bit lean. Just a little bit lean. Derek says, Hawks Nest, love your videos. Who's your favorite player and opinion on Geno Smith? Yeah, so Derek, uh, DK is definitely my opinion. I just, oh, I just answered on that one. Sorry, Derek. And sorry, Derek, uh, I know for new folks in here that are just new to the, uh, the uh, chat, so I do things a little weird here, Derek, and it throws people off. I know a little bit more. Most people are like live reacting or chat. I try to respond to every comment if I can on a live stream. So it tends to leave, puts me a little bit behind the chat, but I'm pretty good about getting caught up, especially because we don't have as many necessarily people in here as we normally do. So I'll be good about, I usually am good about it, but I have a little bit of a delay to kind of usually respond because I am trying to respond to everybody if I can. I like to watch NFL. Why haven't we signed Godwin Ugabuki yet? He was solid for us returning. I don't know why not either. I like to watch NFL. I'd like to see him brought back. I think the team would be smart to do so. He was very impactful as a kick returner last year and, and helped to really take you from really good to fully elite status, I think, as a, as a uh, special teams unit. So it may be something they're considering. 
Uh, maybe they think that they can get the equivalent with Kenny McIntosh back there. Um, and maybe that's just a way for them to manufacture a touch for McIntosh where they say, we want to get McIntosh four or five touches over the course of the game. Maybe two of those come from kick returns, three from kick returns, and a couple from here, here or there. But uh, you also have Dallas in there who's at least capable. He's not as bad in the kick returning as he is with the punt returning. He's really good, actually. As he's, he's, a, he's probably a top 15 guy as a kick returner in the league. So you do have a good backup there. But Ugabuki looked like he was a top five guy last year when he came in. Nasir, uh, he has been waiting for this moment all of his life. Now is time to silence any doubts. Oh, Geno Smith. You're right. And what's even greater about that, Nasir, is beyond us seeing that and realizing that that is his, that is what's at stake here for him. That's what's within his grasp to get. What's beautiful about Geno Smith is that he's realized that. This was the guy that after the very next day after the playoff game, he's in there working out uh, at the facility. Everything that we're hearing about him by all accounts is that he is all ball, that he realizes this opportunity. And that, that having that 10 years of wait time before he got the second chance has crystallized things for him in that manner to where everything is very clear. And uh, I think you're going to get all from him. If he falls short, it's not going to be from lack of effort or from lack of trying as hard as he possibly could to get there. And that's all you can ask for from your quarterback is just that, that kind of effort. Derek, can I have a hug? Derek, I love his channel. I've been watching it on my TV. My wife's like, can I watch something laughing out loud? Well, tell your wife I said thank you for, for putting up with having to deal with my uh, with my voice over the speakers 24-7. Because <laughs> I got some long shows, Derek, so I'm sure she's had to endure quite a bit. But tell her I appreciate it. I do. Thank you, though, man. Paul Zuzzi says, Lockett and Adams are our best bets to be traded. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know on that. I can't, I can't quite see that myself. Um, Lockett's a captain here. He's embedded. You just converted his, I think you just converted sal salary, Paul, from base to bonus. So, you know, you've just created it, made it harder to move off of him anytime in the near future for the dead money you have to hit. And you're in that same boat with Adams this upcoming year if you were to make that trade with him. It's not like if you make the trade with Adams, it's not like the post-June 1st designation thing where you can split the the cap hits up into a couple of years at that point. It all then accelerates on a trade, I believe. So there's really no way to, there's no real pathway to trade either of those two guys this upcoming year. And Lockett may be beyond that with um, converting the base to bonus. Herbicide, any chance we keep Bobby for 2024 also? Yeah, certainly is a chance for that herbicide. There is a track record in history of middle linebackers playing into their mid-30s. Uh, we had, I think Ray Lewis was in there. London Fletcher got out there into his mid-30s. Uh, Sam Mills, I think, back in the day was a guy that played. You know, some of these guys get cut early, right? Like Lofa Tatupu kind of aged really quickly. Luke Keekley was obviously, a, you know, who came in the same class as Bobby retired a good amount ago now. But I think Bobby's going to take it as a one at a year time with the contract situation where he goes, okay, let's see how it goes this year. And then next year, if it, you know, see where my body is, see where the team is, 
are we on that rise? If they're just an inch from obviously turning that corner to becoming a Super Bowl team, I don't know Bobby necessarily feels has, he has to sit down at that point, especially to consider this part of it, Herbicide. Devin Bush on a one-year deal. Jordan Brooks on a one-year deal. Nothing right now on the roster really behind those guys as far as in the, in the future. And so, you know, that's, that is, uh, Bobby may have a path to come back here where even if you draft a young guy, you still need another middle linebacker brought in, kind of. Um, so I could see it. I could see it. Derek says, speaking of my wife, uh, and I are going to Vegas this upcoming summer for a one-year anniversary being married. Hell yeah. Vegas is a fun place to go when, when you're with uh, a significant other. That was a good time, you know? So much to do there, too. So uh, congrats, man. Congratulations. You can get through the first year, I've heard, right? Isn't it the first year or two? Then your you're money, that's the danger zone for the most part. It's all downhill from there. Uh, Reek uh, 206 Northwest is the bar called Carlos East. That's, I believe, what it was called, yeah. That is, I, that sounds, that sounds right, Reek. It was 10 years ago and I'm getting older. So the memory, you know, <laughs> it ain't, it's slipping a little bit, but, uh, Carlos East does, that sounds familiar and it is on the, technically the East side of Manhattan there where you're doing it, where they've got it set up, but it was great. They had the, uh, the, the thunder, the, the drum line for the Seahawks was out front of it. The bar was overflowing. This was during the Super Bowl. It was great with all the Hawk fans in there. And we took over New York for a night, folks. After that Super Bowl win, when you went out in the streets of, of Manhattan, those streets were full. Almost middle of the night, like time. And uh, just people just, Seahawks in New York. New York. I'm with you, Megan. I'm not going to be watching NBA much until I songs come back. I'll catch it here and there, but... I'm not committing myself to it until they return. What's up, Jose Rodriguez in the house? What's up, Jose? Derek, I've never seen a streamer read every comment. He puts in the work. Go Hawks. Yeah, it's just something I uh, did from the start, and I've always just kind of kept at it. it. It gets challenging at times, Derek, when we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in here. It can get, I, I definitely miss some comments. But, uh, you know, you take the time to watch, you take the time to comment here. I feel like it's kind of the least I can do to try to address, especially if there's a question or something, you know, on that. And uh, I, on top of it, I, I like the interaction. There's usually something in here I learn coming out of this channel or stream, and or there's at least, the very least, somebody's made me laugh a couple times. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. But that's also, as Megan says below too, uh, Derek, why my streams tend to go four or five hours is for that very reason. Tristan Levy, uh, what do you think of the Arian Foster comp for Zach? I have heard it a couple of times placed out there, Tristan. I can kind of see it a little bit. When I think of Arian Foster, I think of a, of a, of a gliding running back, vision running back who had really great acceleration. You know, was just really, could really, just that burst was, was really nice with the, especially with the vision. He had good, he had pretty good prerequisite size. He was, he was, you know, good average size guy in that respect, like wasn't undersized and whatnot. He could drag tacklers too, but he was just more of a gliding kind of back. Um, Charbonnet is more to me of, uh, you know, you can, you can feel the earth pounding beneath his feet, <laughs> you know, whereas like uh, Foster would be like, are, is his feet even touching the earth? You know, where it's almost like a, 
like a like a dancer going across. And it's just different stylings more than anything else. This is also, I think, what helps Charbonnet play with way more power than Foster have. But then Foster had way more home run hitting ability to me than than Zach Charbonnet does. That's that extra gear that Foster had that allowed him to be that with that vision that he had on top of it. Now, the vision stuff is very similar. Zach's very smart in finding the hole and quick to find the hole. That's right along with Foster. They have that stuff in common. And the size-wise, they're very close to each other with that. But Charbonnet runs much stronger and harder, um, much more much more able to, to get away from the first tackler um, whereas, you know, Foster was looking for that hole and then he was off. He was off the races. He was gone. And, uh, but he, he kind of needed the hole. Zach can kind of make his own hole. I like Tristan when it comes down to it for Zach comp. I like Nick Chubb minus 9% or uh, Matt Forte. I like the Forte comp better than the Foster comp. Nazir says, it's crazy to me when I look back on all the naysayers last year who said we would be trash. Yeah, there was a lot, certainly nationally, uh, a lot of uh, folks that stood on that point. And um, I never quite understood fully where people got on that because it never seemed to be comprised of them coming to that standpoint, at looking at the Seahawks roster and the situation they had. It was all, well, you moved on from Russ, you moved on from Bobby, so now you must hence suck. And so I think that there's just sometimes you get the the perspectives on this in the series. People don't look at it with any kind of depth. They just kind of gleam across the surface and let that let that be what determines their outlook on it. But there were, you're right, there were a lot. Megas is the Hawks Nest. I love the draft, but you can't tell me that a team full of rookies doesn't give you pause for the thought about what will happen this year. How many vets are on the team now? I know it gives me pause, Megan. And that's, it's, as I said, that's at the forefront main factor spot of something that could be a thing that holds you back a bit where they're not ready to roll. They're taking a little bit more time to develop and, you know, we've got to be more patient with them. That's why I say, Megan, we got to not be like, well, they take that little bit of time and we can't be sitting there, you know, grabbing the pitchforks and lighting the torches for Coach Carroll or John Schneider then. We we have to come back to a realistic state of it, saying what well, what did you expect with a roster that's basically turned its whole self over in the last two years and is comprised of of guys that are for the most part under the age of twenty five years old? Well, what was the expectation level that that team should go out there and dominate in year two of a rebuild? You know, no, that's not realistic to necessarily think. There's reasons to think it can happen, though. I'm I'm making a case it can occur, Megan, for sure, because I think it's a realistic case. Much like last year, Megan, there's the argument to be made that they could suck. There was the argument to be made that they could be right there with the Texans competing for the number one worst overall team in the NFL. There was the argument. And it was it was a feasible argument. It was a it, it was certainly within the realm of re, being reasonable. But reasonable chance of it happening versus what's likely to occur, what how things are likely to go. That's where I think we're really at with this on on the viewpoint, and that's what gives me a little bit more optimism for the upcoming season that stuff could occur but with the way carol gets so much youth out of his roster megan you know with the way the guy you know famous for taking on the freshman at usc and finding a role for them at a time within college football there's a lot of ncaa college coaches at that time that would not even play a freshman we might let you be active we won't we may not redshirt you that first year but you ain't getting out there on that football field till we make sure you're ready Whereas Carroll, he put it at the forefront of his recruiting. I'll recruit you and I'll let you know, yeah, you're going to come in. You're going to get to compete. I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared of the fact that you're youthful. If you're better, you win the job. Competition's king. 
And I think that's one of the benefits of having competition king is now the door opens and feels a little more wider open to those young players who are looking to take the reins, to ascend, take their spot. DJ says, what's good, Brando? I'm feeling the Supersonics t-shirt. Thanks, man. This is my favorite logo for them. I know you, we want them to be updated on the new logo if they came back and we'd have we'd get a new logo. But if they ever went, just went back to this pure and simple one, to me, this was the, this was the best. I, this was the one I liked the best. Deadshot Killer Tyler, Lockett and DK. Man, those guys are ASW. Uh, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. And it's going to be hard, Deadshot, for teams to pick their poison on that one. Who you want to leave open? Because at the forefront of the DK Tyler coverage scenario over the past three years, the forefront of that strategy has been built upon. We're going to bracket coverage Tyler and DK over the top. These two guys that are some of the best receivers in the league at getting over the top of defenses, of getting, getting those nine routes, or just getting, in Tyler's case, not even nine route. He'll get clear over the top, running a post to a skinny post to a... He'll run, any, he'll run any number of things on the open field to throw off the defenders and you get open deep. How do you take that away? Well, just run cover two bracket coverage, man. Simple and easy. Oh, you're going to run cover two bracket coverage and then you're going to leave JSN wide up underneath with linebackers in space now that he's operating against? Because you run cover two and you tend to drop the middle linebacker straight down the middle of the field between the hash marks. And then he's going to try to pick up somebody underneath as he's sort of trying to protect the, to the deep side of the field. He's trying to protect against kind of some of those tight end seam routes and whatnot. But now JSM just gets to read the linebacker and find his open spot, and it's open all day there for Gino. And that's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's like that's real-world stuff because teams don't have that tendency that they can go to their opponents week after week and just bracket the hell out of their outside receivers every week. They've gotten away with it with us because our, our slot hasn't stepped forward, right? With, with the fact that Russell wasn't a big guy and hitting the slot or hitting the running backs on the, on the flat routes. Well, now you've got the slot and now you have Gino who's willing to hit those running backs leaking out of the backfield. Now the commitment is there. Now you're going to force those teams off those double teams. And once you force the teams off the double teams of DK and Tyler, especially in the case of DK, once you pull those double teams over the top away, Y'all are out there waiting for your exceptional DK season. All of you waiting out there for that 1,500-yard, 15-touchdown season. You're going to get it. You're going to get it at that point. Make no mistake. And that's been the biggest inhibiting factor. I swear, if you were to ask Gino or DK right now, what's the biggest inhibiting factor? So why you haven't gone from 1,000 yards to 1,500. Maybe they wouldn't admit it, but I, I, you put them on a lie detector test. I get, I get doubled every other snap. I got two guys on top of me every snap. We'll see. But they are not, they are, they're, they're going to be pretty gnarly. <laughs> I wouldn't want to defend them. Greg says, my favorite uh, Seahawks are Tariq, DK, Bobby. Love it. That's a good list. Megan says, pick Cross at nine weeks before the draft and scream very loud when we took him. It's a good pick. I rock man drums. What rank do you project our run defense after the regular season, after our draft picks and trades? Um, it's a good question. I think in the case of the run defense,
I think it's still a problem point. I think it's going to still be an issue at times in games. I think that there's a, a way to, to kind of manufacture, a way to, to clean some of it up, rock band drums. When I was talking about the defense two weeks ago and how to kind of get it a little bit more turned right to front, what you could do for those teams that want to stay so committed to the running game like the Panthers were last year or like the Raiders were last year where they were just almost seemingly trying to avoid passing because they knew they could attack our weakness in the run game so much. If that occurs, then, then commit to bringing down that extra defender in the box. And it's not just any defender you're now bringing down in the box. You're bringing, if he's healthy, put these in quotations or whatever you want to put it in, but if he's healthy with bringing in Jamal Adams down in the box, you're not just bringing in any you know, run-of-the-mill safety. You can knock Jamal all you want for what he is in his coverage. I don't, I don't do that. I know some do. But there's nobody that can contest the fact that Jamal Adams is one of the best run-defending safeties in the sport. And if you're allowing that guy to come up in the box and be that kind of defender that lurks down there unaccounted for by the offense more often than not, unless they're running a heavy formation, well, then he's going to have a lot of time. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to go make some plays and to muck up a lot of that, that running game at that time. And I think he will. So, you know, you've got to still, man, it's not pure where rock band drums, you can run a seven man front, you know, your traditional seven man front and go, those guys will get it done. They got it. That's enough. Maybe not enough talent in there to have those guys get that done on their own, but you have the corners on the outside that can run man, right? You got a guy in Quandre Diggs that can run the cover three, which if you're bringing down the safety into the box as the eighth defender, chances are you're running cover one, cover three with the safety over the top. You know, he's the sa- he's the literal safety valve. He's the final he's the final point to keep you clear if anything should go wrong on the play with those corners that are playing man on the outside. And he's gonna have to read it and Quandre's gonna have to be right on that in those points. A lot like Earl Thomas was. But you could run it. You could run it. I think you could manufacture some success in the run game at that point. Purely rock man drums on are we better or not, just not manufacturing anything, just running it like we ran last year. No, we're probably pretty much the same as a run defense as we were last year, maybe marginally better with Bobby there. Maybe marginally better. Uh, you know, three or four spaces better. But no, you, I don't think you've taken a big step forward necessarily because teams are going to go at those A and B gap runs and your, your talent's maybe not quite there enough to sustain, both on the front line and from a depth standpoint. But I, I think there are ways to work around it a little bit too. I don't think it's a death knell necessarily. Carter Metcalf, who do you think who do you think the odd man out is on the edge? Alton or the kid from Ohio State? I hope Alton gets a good shot. I do too, Carter. Uh, I really do as well. Um, it's very it's very close for me on this one. The problem too comes in that we didn't really get a chance to see Tariq Smith last year. He was injured pretty much throughout all the preseason, so I haven't had a chance to see him in the uniform and what he's done or what he could do. So that does lead me to go, well, I give Olton, I guess, the slight edge at that point. But the thing with Tyreek is that he was a guy before he went into that final year at Ohio State, Carter, who was looked at as Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Tariq Smith. Like, he was going to be the next guy in this lineage of edge rushers out of Ohio State. And then he just didn't quite capture that in his final year. He had a lot of pressures so it wasn't like he wasn't you know still flushing and making the quarterback he didn't have like a bad final year it just wasn't that eye-opening eye-popping year that a lot of people were expecting out there at Ohio State but many say that he does have some of that kind of natural talent to him to get that done so 
I can kind of only go off of that blindly and telling you which one of the other goes. And then you have the injury situation with both, which are they both at 100%? Are they both ready to go? Um, all I know with Alton is I have seen him at least somewhat produced at the NFL level. I haven't seen Tariq, so I'll, I'll go to Alton, but I don't feel confident in it. I think it's like a flip of the coin right now. But I like having both those guys as your fifth edge rusher right now. That's good, talented guys to have as your number fives. Save the key says, wasn't uh, DK's breakout year in 2020 when he like uh, 13 he had like 1300 yards and 10 receiving touchdowns? He broke large and single season receiving record. It was for me. Save the geese. I mean, I'm certainly not a guy needing him to do any more than what he's done or to have more than that type of year. I was more than mainly trying to speak to the folks I get a lot in my chat that is, you know, when's DK taking the next step? You know, well, DK is all right as a receiver, but he's just a you know, he's kind of overrated or, you know, I'm sort of re referring a little bit to that because I've seen it come up in my chat at times. And uh, it's been hard to understand exactly because like you say, he's been so, the yards there are legit. He's had that season. He's had four straight consistent years. He's out there every single week um, working his butt off, you know? Um, so yeah, he has for me. I think he has broken out. But if for those folks that are those last, you know, those last few holdovers that are still like, well, he hasn't shown me yet. I mean, he's he's fine, but he's not nice. You know, he's, he's all right, but he's not nice. Like, no, he's nice. He's all that. See, I say Rodriguez says Vegas is no fun, no matter what. <laughs> I, I have a few friends that may, may differ with you on that one, Jose, but I don't know, man. It's an experience. Uh, Save the Geese is considering how the stars control the league in the NBA. It's currently in a bad spot. I'm not worth watching, and the roster building is the worst in sports as far as trades in the draft. Yeah, it's it's been not hard to step away from the NBA with the Sonics going on top of just being mad and pissed off at the NBA for tearing a fan base away when I know darn well that the local fan base absolutely supported that team and wanted them to remain. But the NBA brand has certainly been one that has you know, gone heavily to the pro player, let the player run everything kind of show to things. And I think it has been at the detriment of the sport. And uh, I think that it's kind of already the problem here is I don't know if you can really unwind it at this point, you know. I don't know, financially they'd want to because they can have, they want the offense, they got the offense. You know, they don't want no defense, they don't want no, but uh, yeah, it's on top of that, it's the, on the product you see with, with uh, NBA, it's, you have the organizations and the way they put the things together and the tanking that's occurring in the sport. So, oh my goodness. Uh, DJ Jimenez says, I see more MJZ, MJD with Zach Charbonnet. I've heard that comp too, DJ. The only problem I have with that one is that Zach's six feet tall and I think um, Maurice Jones-Drew was like five, eight and a half, maybe five, nine, depending on who was measuring him. Megan says, do you think what happened last year with the rookies was a fluke, good coaching, or what? I don't think it was a fluke, Megan, because first and foremost, last year, why did you have the level of talent of rookies that you had in, and that why was that so different than recent years where when you brought those rookies in, they weren't ready to go or they weren't very good? Well, because as Schneider has said many times, you changed philosophy last year's draft. You went for value. And what does value bring out you? The best player, the most talented player, because you're just trusting your board purely. 
And that's why I'm so much of a guy that ha- hammers on this, Megan, over and over again, is that we've seen the successes from it when we run the opposite direction away from picking for need. And that was the big problems of all the other prior drafts is you were picking for need and you were filling a hole, but you weren't getting a very talented player. And so they went full value and then that brought them back this return. Now, you had one of the most historically best drafts we've seen maybe in NFL history. Is that going to be replicated this year with these rookies giving you that same kind of performative level? Probably not. But does it have to be? No. It doesn't have to be equivalent to last year for us to be elite. They just got to be ready to fill into a find a role. Derek Hall's not starting. He's just got to find a role in the rotation. Charbonnet's not starting. He's just got to find a hole in the rotation. Devin Witherspoon's probably likely to start, but he's got to earn that starting spot. It's not going to be given to him. You've got some talent there that's going to be fighting their butt off to not give him that lead dog role in that as that starting corner on the outside. I mean, that's uh, three of your first four picks right there. And even JSN, he's not starting, Megan, you know? Even he's technically, I know Slot's kind of a starter, but he's not going to be starting the outside. So there's that, that should remove a lot of that pressure and need of what you had from last year in those guys to, to be at that same um be ready at that same level. Megan says, uh, college football is a totally different beast to the NFL, so I understand that Pete was a brilliant coach at USC, one of the reasons I'm a member of the Trojan family. It definitely was a different beast than me in a lot of ways. But there's certain things too I think that you can carry over a little bit, like how he learned to find a role for those young guys rather than just deciding, you know, you put a, you put a rookie in, they lose your football game, so you never put a rookie in. What if I just found a guy a certain role that he could be really good and excel in, you know, in that first year? Let's make that more of the key at it. And let's then find that role and get more out of that guy a little bit quicker. And then you could kind of carry that forward to rookies. You know, the rookies become the equivalent to the freshmen. Megan says, uh, Hawksnest, sorry for all the questions. Don't worry, Megan. You can ask away. It's all good. Greg, I love Lockett, but I, I know, but I know how anyone can look at him and then look at a DK and go, yeah, Lockett is better. Yeah, I, I, I do think I think DK's you know better, but there's people that love Lockett and look, he's had a great year career. So, you know, luckily we don't have to decide between them. We get to enjoy them both. You know, but Lockett's been amazing, man. He's been amazing. He's putting up some some pretty crazy numbers. Just thinking about the other day too with Tyler Lockett. Like we're looking at him right now here. Lockett stats. So Tyler Lockett right now. Has uh, seven thousand one hundred yards receiving. You know, if you put up another three thousand yard seasons, he's at ten thousand yards and eighty touchdowns. Probably doesn't quite put him into a Hall of Fame contention, but you never know. You never know. But yeah, DK is. Uh, I'll take DK. Ryan, uh, trying to be positive but not sold that we have that what we have are that much better than last year and we were this season still feels like a borderline playoff team to me. I don't think there's anything wrong with that that outlook, Ryan. As Megan says, well, she feels that way. I think that it could it could go in that direction of things. You know, it's hard to predict exactly how this will met out. I'm not predicting that that's where the team's going to be at, but I won't be shocked, Ryan, and I'm not going to be jumping off the bandwagon necessarily or jumping off Carroll necessarily if they don't reach the mark of what I predict they're going to hit. If we're at, if I say this team's going to hit 11 to 12 wins this year and they end up at eight, uh, I'll see, we'll see how we got to those eight wins, but just simply getting to eight wins alone does not mean, well, the team underperformed and they, you know, now we've got a call for Coach Carroll's head and I will not be doing that. I definitely will not be doing that. 
Anderson, anyone seen those photos of, of those rookie photos of Jay Kaner took for the Saints? Dude is zesty as hell. Very, very funny. Uh, so Jay Kaner of the Saints did a photo shoot for the team. Go on Twitter, type in Jay Kaner photo shoot. You will thank me. <laughs> he went a little uh, Zoolander. Uh, he went he went full Zoolander with the fo- the photo shoot, and good for him for having some fun with it. Greg says, I think people underrate DK so much because of his physical attributes. He's one of those guys that should be putting up monster numbers, but because he doesn't, not his fault, people dock him for it. It's very well said, Grug. And uh, I feel the very much the same way in regards to DK. He's been the good soldier, and it's not it, it's not necessarily his fault that he doesn't have the the numbers. It's you you can only do as well as the quarterback you have back there or what you have as far as supporting parts and pieces go and all that. But yeah, I think where a lot of the expectations come from is that he looks like, you know, he looks like Hulk. And so everybody wants him to, you know, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, like dominate everything down there, just that physicality. It just doesn't always work that way in football like that. Um, but he's still been pretty, getting pretty close. He's, he's scratching the surface, scratching the edges on, on getting that dominant state fully. And um, I still feel, I feel like he's still on his ascent. Garza, despite the sheer amount of weapons we have, I think DK will have a season similar to the one he had in 2020. Hopefully that'll finally push him into being recognized as a tier one receiver. I agree with you. I think this is a year where he's going to go back and put up those stats that'll be as high. That 1,300-yard season, I think, is well within range because I think on the back of purely with this, Grug, the double teams are going to pull off of him a little bit. JSN is going to require some of these teams to play it a little more legitimate where they can't cheat as much in those coverages towards the outside. And that's going to now open up more holes for, for DK to get more single opportunities. And if you're going to single up DK to me, he's going to eat all day. There's a reason these defensive coordinators are ascribing so many double teams to him. It's not barely that they're just scared of his size. It's because they know that if they don't pull those double teams towards him, Gino's going to target him, and he's probably going to beat the man opposite him. That's why they're doing it. Um, but that's that's where that production, I think, could come take that step forward from, Grug, is that now the double teams pull off of him. Now he gets the singled up man-on-man, mano mon, mano and he'll, he'll eat. Uh, Avery Allred. Hey, Brandon, I hope you're doing well. I was watching some games from 2015, and man, I forgot how fast and shifty Lockett was. Very much so, Avery. It was a little sad a couple of years ago when he, when he talked about right as we were signing the new contract extension that... He was never able to quite gather back the same speed that he had prior to that major injury that he suffered when he caught that touchdown reception from from Russ back in the day and what tore his ACL or some broke his leg or something. I forget which one it was, but I think he tore his ACL. Um, but we, indeed, I don't think he was ever able to quite bounce back to what he was prior and just being as sudden as he was and as fast as he was. And, you know, that's probably why he's been a little bit more leaned into the back end of his career falling down after the catches is that he's aware of it. He's like, I'm not going to get past anybody. I'm not breaking those tackles like I once able to. What's awesome is that he still found a way to be tremendously productive uh, despite suffering a little bit of that back of a a little bit of that um, deterrent, physically speaking, to his game. And that's speaks to Lockett's work ethic and speaks to how good of a just pure football player he is and and route running and just doing the things you want a receiver to do with all of those little little extras that they can refine um all those little subtleties you know the thing he picked up from Doug Lockett Doug Baldwin for instance is you're running the deep route and you got the defender right here how to get that push off at the spot where you're pushing off but the the ref can't recognize it but you're timing it just as the ball's coming in at just that right moment he's mastered that 
absolutely mastered it. And you see other receivers try to do it and they end up, you know, pulling out too, too long on their arm and the, the refs can really see it. Um, but that was something you originally saw Doug Baldwin able to do a lot and Tyler picked it right up. Um, he's got a lot of those little nuances to the position that he really understands. But yeah, he was shifty as hell. Shifty as hell and fast, fast. Ryan Wilson says, much respect for you, Brandon, for your comments to our questions and your streams. Thank you, Ryan. I love what I do, man. I love what I do. And it's a, it's a great honor and pleasure to be able to run this channel and do these live streams and interact with you guys like we're, like we do. Appreciate it. Wu-Tang says, DK has better numbers than Megatron did at this point in their respective careers. Man ain't even in his prime yet. Yeah, I did uh, a video last year on DK because he turned 25 years old. I know it seems like he's been in the league already forever. But it, in December of last year, late into the season last year, DK Metcalf turned finally 25 years of age. And as I went and I, it got me wondering, you know, how, how has he done, how has he stacked up comparatively to, to other receivers historically speaking? And he, had, he was ninth all time in yards receiving before the age of 25 versus anyone else in NFL history. Anyone. Ninth. Then I go, okay, well, how was he in receiving touchdowns? Seventh. Seventh all-time in receiving touchdowns before the age of turning 25. To me, those are as as good a two markers statistically of any that you could look at as his numbers and pull away from and go, "Eh, there's maybe a little more upside to this guy and he is on an ascent right now that we may come back to look on and go, man, he was in the middle of a Hall of Fame career and we just kind of just suddenly just sort of happened on us. We suddenly realized it. What's great now is I think he's going to be the type that steps forward now too as a guy who, because he's got that age, because he's got the pelts on a wall now, he's the guy that can come into the room and be a little bit more of a leader too, where he starts to now maybe, you know, grow into that capacity of things. And, you know, who isn't listening to DK? <laughs> yeah. Ryan Wilson says, laughing out loud, I was, I, was, I was that 12 who wanted to get rid of Russ. People literally blasted me daily. Then all of a sudden, every other one was, was for the move. Ha ha ha. Yep, it was, uh, it was definitely one that was, uh, for the folks saying it at that time, Ryan, it was not well received by the fan base if you were making that argument. But um, it's good to always stick to your principles and what you think on stuff, you know? Because if you're, if, if you're coming and, and looking at it intelligently and arriving at the right place, you'll be proven true on it and proven right. And then uh, people can come back later and go, boy, you were correct. I gave you hell for it, but I came back around to understanding you were on the, on the right side of that. Not a lot of people do that, Ryan, admittedly. <laughs> they don't do that second part. Uh, they'll give you the hell part on the front end, but they don't do the coming back to and going, you know, you were kind of right on that. I probably should have. But it's the tough part on that one too, is it's, there's so much emotion involved with the rust situation, Ryan. You know, you have a guy like me that has been through Damn, you're four, four near four decades of football and watching it and different regimes and different starting quarterbacks that have come through. And you, you get a little bit more ingrained into the process. But then you have people that in a lot of like a lot of our younger 12s that came along into their fandom right as Russ was coming into being the starting quarterback in 2012. That was their introduction to the team. You know, so they've they've, they've never, never kind of known another way. And so they're going to be a little bit more emotionally, you know, attached to him at that point. Um, you know, would have been a lot like if you'd come to me in 
you know, around the Griffey trade in what, 97 or what it was, 99 or whatever it was. And, you know, you're like, well, he's getting older now. And, you know, we want to max out our returns that we can get for him at this point. And, you know, no, not my Griffey. Anybody but him. Take A-Rod. Give him A-Rod. He's younger. We want to make, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, so there's emotionality with it too, Ryan, that, you know, just hard for a lot of folks to ever kind of understandable. So you want people to, to care that much for these players and the team, you know, that's, that's totally about being just a fan at that point. Greg says, I love how literally every Seahawks fan is saying that Woolen is getting exactly 10 picks this year. It's meant to happen. It, it could, I can see where people are coming from with it and saying that. He's capable of doing it. Hell, he if if you had teams last year that just didn't go halfway into the year, oh my God, what is this freak show that this team is putting out on the side of the football field? We're not going to throw at that anymore. If the teams didn't react like that, like they did halfway into the schedule, he very well might have pushed up around 10 picks last year. And this year you actually have the facilitating the facilitating aspect here now that can force teams to have to be into that very pickle. Because if Devin Witherspoon's on that other side and he's not allowing completions, quarterbacks are going to have to play it more purely. They're going to have to be like, I got I to gotta try. I got to go. So I can't just check this down all game. I can't just throw to the flat all game. I can't just hit the tight end all game. I got to try to the receivers at some point. You, you can't avoid both of them. And uh, that's, that's where that, I think, Definitely opens up that potential of him being a, a 10 pick guy then at that spot. Especially too, Greg, because you're offensively going to put up a lot of points. So you're going to usually have to keep teams in that position of not necessarily, I know a lot of people worry about the running game, but the running game could get covered up by stack fronts. The, the running game exposure could get covered up by an offense that controls the clock. The running game exposure could get, could get overcome by an offense that's scoring a lot of points and forcing the team on the other side to now feel like it has to pass more to stay step for step with those teams that are the Seahawks offense that's putting up those points as it is. Those things can also help kind of help fix this up around the edges and the sides of it a bit. And I think it will. Megan says, uh, D, Megan says DK is 25. No way. I always thought early thirties. <laughs> I know Megan, it does seem like he's already been in the league for a, a lot of years, but yeah, he came in at a young, young, young 20, I think 20 years old or something like that when he came in the league. But, um, yeah, young young kid, and uh, just twenty five. I think it was December second. I was I was looking at the time. So just December second, he turned twenty five years old. He's not even in his prime yet. Not even his prime. DJ Tyler also mastered Doug's hop skip move. It's like Allison Allen Iverson crossover move with the finishing touch of Doug, but for football. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, his release off the line. Yeah, it's, it's definitely helped. I mean, it's, it's telling when you've got a guy like Tyler Lockett that's, I think he's got like 30 and a half inch arms and he's 5'9", but on the outside, he finds a way to get free off the line of scrimmage time and time again. That's, it's, it's so impressive because it's so hard. So many of these guys in this last draft that were undersized receivers that I was scouting that I would watch them in the times when they would be on the outside and you just go, man, I don't think this is going to work at the NFL level. You watch Zay Flowers. And Zay Flowers is just, he's doing a, a salsa, a full salsa dance at the line of scrimmage on every release. And then he goes, here's Zay Flowers. Here's Zay Flowers. Here's the line. He's doing. Like here, I'm going to do a Zay Flowers. I'm going to do a Zay Flowers for you guys. 
So he's looking back at the ball. He's like, okay, you gonna hike it? And he goes over the ref. He's like, am I good? Am I good? Ref's good? Okay. Hike. And then he gets into his route. And he goes, he goes, hey. He goes, hey, I, I don't think you're going to be able to take five seconds at the line of scrimmage in the NFL. I, I don't think they're going to allot you that. But he does it. Go back and watch Dave Flowers at Boston College in every single snap. And I'm, I, I get into baseball people go, how is that going to work in the NFL? And he's doing that because he's trying to keep the defender's hands off of him. He's doing that off of press coverage. He's doing that with the defender right there, ready to give him that chuck at the line of scrimmage. And so he's trying to avoid the chuck. But the problem is, is that when you're on the outside, you've got to be on the line of scrimmage. So you're right there in the wheelhouse of the cornerback to lay that bump. And um, I don't know with him, but Tyler's great. The fact that he can get off of it and and pull that off. And a lot of with that Iverson move you're talking about, it's how you do it. You, you know, you... You're off the line of scrimmage and you get the corner thinking you're going laterally one way or the other and that you get the corner to then take the false step and then you clear it off the release. Now you have an open lane just from the corner opening his step, you know, from getting him to, because he's still amped up to get his hand on you. Oh, you're up over here. But he's great with it. He is great with it. Megan says, December 2nd, day after my birthday. Knew I loved DK for reason B. It's a good birthday, huh? It's not a bad spot. Not not too close to Christmas to where you're having to have your birthday part of Christmas presents. You know, just far enough away. Uh, Grug, between Tariq, Kobe, Spoon, and Diggs picks shouldn't be a problem. No, no. And those all those guys are going to be able to just find a role, fit into a role, and go. I, Witherspoon starting day one kind of with that, but yeah, no. Shouldn't be a problem to y'all. Shouldn't be a problem at all with those guys. Nitro Hawk, I think we should trade for Jay Kaner. He seems like he has potential. Well, he he was into that photo shoot. It's called Blue Steel. Notice my simmering, my simmering steel. <laughs> Doing duck face. Ed Armitage, we should try to trade up next year and get May or Williams. Uh, it certainly is going to be potentially on the on the table here, Ed. Uh, depending on what happens with Geno Smith, you you very well may open that door up. I will say, if we're going to take the early reviews of those two guys, they do it. They do appear to be one two. I don't think that there's any way in hell you have a chance of getting Caleb Williams. Whoever lands the number one overall pick next year is going to be taking Caleb Williams. I can't see who the team would be, even if the Cardinals, who have who could be in contention with two picks. To being big at the top of the draft. Like they're they're gonna be like, bye, Kyler. Bye. Bye bye. Bye, Kyler. Go up into your little Keebler elf tree. Go have some cookies. Here's some milk. They'll give him away for a, a freaking jar of Nutella at that point. They won't even think about it. So there, Ed, there's no way we're trading up to number one. Now, may maybe. Maybe you can get into two. He's not, I think, as as quite in that. And a lot of this is going to be what their next year's tape is going to show, of course, too. But it's very hard, man. It's This year was a little bit odd, Ed, in the respect of having the Panthers moving up with the Bears and the Bears trusting fields. And I'll tell you, I think the Bears probably came this close, this close to just moving fields and then taking the pick on the quarterback there. I think they were probably really, really on the edge. And it, it was that the offer from Carolina was just so juicy 
that they were like, we can't turn this down. But I don't know if that's, that's kind of a, Ed, that might be kind of a one-off to me. I don't know if you're going to, I can't, there's not a lot of recent historical picks where there's the number one quarterback in the draft. He's far and away the number one guy. Trevor Lawrence, John Elway, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. And that team doesn't just pull the trigger and grab. Yeah. But I'm down, Ed. If they can trade up for it, if those guys are as good as we think they're going to be and they have an opportunity to, uh, next year is a good year for an all-in year to go for the quarterback because you have the roster built at this point. There won't be a lot of holes. There won't be a lot of other places you need to create space on, you know. So if you want to take that other route with that point and, and just take those chips, pile them together, and then push it for that quarterback, it's not the worst of moves to be made at that point in time. The team will be ready to compete. We will need the quarterback position to not be one that holds us back at that point. And this will be depending on what Gino does as we go forward. But nice, nice part here is we have options, I think. DJ says, uh, bet you Tyler has a bag of tricks like Jamal Crawford. Better believe he does. Megan says, I could see you doing a photo shoot like that, B. It would be tongue in cheek, yes. He, he <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could keep a straight face for as long as he did for it. Because he's, he's going, he went hard on that photo shoot. Uh, it's good to see you, Space. Thank you, man. And Space, I got the cat pumpkins pick thing um, filmed. So I'm getting it edited down. I'm going to have that posted soon. I'm going to do my thumbnail. I'm going to have her. I'm going to hold her like uh, Lion King Simba style, you know? And then I'm have a green screen in the background with like a, like a jungle looking setup. It's going to be tight. Oh, DK's birthday's on the 14th, Greg? My bad. It was December, though. So I'm not quite as close to you there, Megan. I guess I was off. I thought it was the second, man. I can't trust my memory for nothing no more. Brennan, Brennan M. Kyler to the streets. He's made for the streets. <laughs> Sorry, Murray. Sorry, Murray. Ruggs, is, is it crazy to believe that Reed could, could retire with the most interceptions ever? <sighs> oh, that's a tough one, man. Uh, let me look at it up. I, I think I, lo I remember looking this up with the Richard Sherman deal, and I was like, yikes. You got Paul Krause has got 81 interceptions for his career. Emlyn Tunnel has 79 and Rod Woodson was 71. So could he get to 81? I mean, he could. He'd have to play a very long career. He'd have to produce every season, right? You'd have to four or five interceptions minimum every year with a couple of ones where you top out at eight, nine. So it's it's possible, especially having the first year he did and putting up the, the, the INTs he did. But... Um, there's there's reason a guy like Paul Krause who played freaking what 50, 50 years ago 
that record has lasted this amount of time, even with great corners like Deion Sanders and Sherman's and Darrell Revis's and Champ Bailey's coming through who haven't been able to touch that. I think the one thing that's really the would be dependent there is if he can maintain and have a second running cornerback on the other side from him, like what we're thinking proverbially Devin Witherspoon will be, a guy that will force quarterbacks not to just simply run away from that other side of the field and actually have to force themselves to face Woolen and throw balls his way. He could get there if that if they have that at the forefront, especially doing it early on in his career and making that kind of a you know something they're definitely intending to try to pull off, I think, in favor of being able to prevent that. You know, I think a lot of what this Witherspoon pick is is to, hey, what if we have the two elite corners going? What if teams couldn't just do like they could with Sherman? where they just run away from that side of the field all game. What if we don't give them that out? Kirk Stemmer says, keep an eye on Joe Milton from Tennessee. He, his arm pops off the screen and he's 6'5". I've, I've seen a little bit of him, Kirk. He stepped in, of course, for um, Hendon Hooker last year at Tennessee. Um, but you're no doubt about it. The ball, the thing that jumps out with him is that the ball leaps off of his hand. It explodes off of his hand. He very, very well may have a lay, lay a claim here in this upcoming draft to having potentially the strongest arm of next year's draft. Because I do believe he's up next year. I think he's a little bit of a not old, older prospect, but I think he's a little bit further along, Kirk. But um, he's, uh, he's impressive. He can move a little bit too. But uh, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a hand cannon. That's for sure. Grug says, Reek is actually insane, a true unicorn, a guy we've never seen before, and a guy we'll likely never see again. No one thought he would have this season he he had playing his third year at corner. Indeed, this is a guy on a superstar rise, Grug. And uh, you ask, you know, can he he get an all-time interception record? Well, a superstar on the rise is capable of just about anything, especially when you're going to hit that spot so early in your career. As he's just gotten here to this spot, and he's, as you say, burst onto the scene. And he's not only burst onto the scene, but as you also say, He's only played the corner position now for three straight seasons. Three years, this kid's played the cornerback position. And so many times you heard from veterans last year talking about Tariq Woolen, and you could just see them shaking their head and lamenting the fact that he was being so mightily productive last year while he wasn't knowing what the hell he was doing. It wasn't technique. It wasn't reading things. He was just flying by the seat of his pants and yet dominating as he did so. And I think that, that that really does tell you that that the future's bright for him. The upside is still even higher for him. And now you've got a cornerback on that side of the field. You've got a team set up to where you could be forcing quarterbacks to have to go his way. And at that point, the sky is the limit. Anything is truly possible as far as the production is concerned. And uh, that's worthy of getting even more excited about where he's going in his future. Uh Uh, Megan says, uh, we need to make that happen, B. I would pay for that. For for which? Oh, the photo shoot. <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know. You, that, that, you have to talk to me on that one. Uh, if Pumpkin doesn't take the Ravens, I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I, I can't remember for life of me, Megan, if she picked the Ravens or not. She might have picked the Ravens, if I'm making a guess. We had way more, she was way more picking the Hawks than anybody else, but she might have had it on that one. 
Krug says, I honestly feel pretty confident about him breaking 81 interceptions if Reek was 22 and not 24. Yeah, that would help. That would help. Kirk Stemmer, Joe Milton is a senior. Yeah, he'll have a, it's legit, Kirk, to say he has maybe potentially the most powerful arm in next year's draft. Because Caleb Williams is really good, but he's got a good arm, but it's not super uber powerful. May's good arm, not incredibly powerful. Rattler, same. Cameron Ward, the same. Penix has got a plus arm, but it's not as strong, I think, as Milton. Penix got the quick release accuracy, anticipation, and a plus arm. I'm trying to think of who else in the draft would have been, have as much of a kind of a cannon. I can't think of one, though. He's probably it. Interesting. It's going to be fun next year, Kirk. Especially the Hawks probably looking at needing a quarterback here soon. How many QBs you got in this upcoming draft that are going to have just from round zero to four, we might see 15 to 20 quarterbacks picked. There's so many of them. Mega says, if you did the shoot, I may agree with your your Craig over Zorn laughing out loud. <laughs> yeah, but then you have black Mac blackmail materials on me with the photos. <laughs> I'll show the photos. I'll post it to social media. Wu-Tang says, Reek wasn't even that good last year, fundamental-wise. What happens when he gets good? Exactly, Brandon. Yeah, that's why I say the superstar rise thing with him and the potential there with him is a real thing. This isn't one of those things where you grab a player and you go, well, you know, he's maybe a guy who can, this guy's right there to go and take advantage of it. Guys do not come in the league and do what he does. And the fact that he came in and did what he does with all of the physical gifts he has, being fast as lightning, being long as any cornerback in this sport, being as tall as just about any cornerback in this sport. Those things you just, you don't find as someone else said above, it's a, it's a unicorn scenario. And this is what builds those players that are special. This is what bears out those players that put themselves statistically on a different level of other players that have ever come before them. And uh, he's got that ability to do that. And he's arriving at the right place at the right time on top of this because he's got the cornerback whisperer as his head coach. He's going to have running mates on the other side of him with Witherspoon, which is going to allow him to have the opportunity to make those picks. And, and that could all come together for him in that way. And, and uh, I'm super excited this year to see what he can do here a year, you know, step forward, more refined, more understanding of what he needs to do, where he needs to do it, better at recognizing things. It's only going to make him more dominant. Greg, worth noting, Rod Woodson and Micah Parsons both picked Reek to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Both are Defensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year winners, and Woodson being an all-time great, and Parson trending in that direction. Certainly, Parsons is absolutely trending in that direction. I didn't know that about uh, Woodson making that prediction. That's interesting to. Uh, that's very interesting to hear from him. But uh, hey, they know. It takes, as they say, Grug. It takes one to know one, don't they? So uh, you know, and um, he should have won it last year. He had a better year than Ahmad Saucy. Or as I like to call him, the Hansy Ramsey. I think he had a much better year myself, but won't matter at the end of the day because I think Reese going to have the much better career when it's all said and done. Gardner will end up with like 17 total career interceptions and Woolen will be, at the very least, I feel like well above 30 to 40. Lance Johnson, two tackles, three cornerbacks, three running backs, center guard, two edges, defensive end, defensive tackle, two wide receivers. So many important and expensive positions on rookie deals. This is going to allow John to pick free agents with all that savings. Next year, especially Lance, 
the stage is completely set for them to go hog wild to your point on this, which is that you get into next year. And I know we're talking about this year right now, and there's all that potential still here with this year. But you get to next year, all of those things that you talked about with the tackles are still in the rookie deals, corners are still in the rookie deals, running backs are still in the rookie deals. You've got that year three where all that's occurring. And while that's all occurring, you've got a lot of money now freeing up off of your books. And beyond the money that frees up off of your books, you go into next year and you can get out from under the deals of Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Will Disley. Any of the contracts that you don't feel are even somewhat reasonable, you can get out and save a lot of money from if you want to do so next year to then free up that, sp- that money to go out there and have that spending spree. And the, the coup de gras on this, Lance, the coup de gras is that what happens if you have an ownership change occur at the very same time? What if you go from having the purse strings tightened up a little bit here with Jody Allen and they suddenly become loosened with new ownership coming in here and all that cap space freed up and the contracts coming off the books? So yeah, the, the future's bright here, but they're definitely, the stage is set in the near future here for them to amp this up and especially next year. You go into next year, the Niners were at that point to me that you'll have Trent Williams retiring probably after this year. 30, if not, he's going to be a 36-year-old left tackle. Where's their line at? Where's their quarterback position at? They're in the midst of that point of paying Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Um, a lot of deals on the books there at that point. McCaffrey's probably moved on from at that point. You know, they're in a weakened spot. Eagles will have lost at that point. No more Cox, no more Brandon Graham. Have the younger guys come up. You know, you got Kelsey moving on at that point from the center position. John Lance Johnson probably getting to the end of the line as far as him standing as well. So they're having to start to turn over some stuff. There'll be some other teams in the NFC that rise up, obviously, at the same time. But we're going to be one of those teams right there to, to then take hold. It's a beautiful future here for our Seattle Seahawks. Omega says, you're damn right. I would have blackmail material. Like, I don't know nothing about you that I could, but wouldn't share with the 12s, B. <laughs> Very true, Megan. Very true. Greg Sauce Gardner is my favorite new nickname for him. Sauce Grabner. <laughs> I like that nickname. Uh, Sauce Grabner, the Hansy Ramsey. We'll just we'll give him like Game of Thrones. We'll just give him a, lo- a long list of titles that are just nothing but backwards slaps in the face to Ahmad. <laughs> you know, it's all just shade. Ron Evers, how many years did we give uh, Jason Myers? Four years. Four-year contract. Extension. It's a bit pricey too, Duran. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's a little, little expensive. Little expensive. Mega says you need to ask if Caleb's good. I swear I don't know. I don't know you sometimes. Me? No, I know he's good. I know Caleb's good. If I said that, that's not what I meant. So I don't know. Is Caleb good? No, I know Caleb's good. I don't know what I must have said, Megan. But no, I, I definitely think Caleb is a... He's going to be the number one overall quarterback. You know, 100%. I think I said it. We just need to see that they're good this next coming year. So just another year of production, Megan. I don't know if it's going to super change things for Caleb necessarily, but if he comes out and he completely looks a shell of himself, that'll definitely affect him from where I see him now. I don't expect him to have that happen, 
um, he'll be just fine. In fact, they should be better this year should USC than they were last year with Lincoln Riley having more time to kind of cement himself there. So, no, just I was meaning a more of the combination of May and Williams. Everybody's got to reinforce their final year. Nobody can just come out and, you know, close their eyes and just kind of like we saw with Levis, right? Like that dropped his value down at that point from a place where he would have been a top five guy. If he matched the prior year of what he played, he would have been a top five guy. But because he went out and had a real bad year, he dropped into the second round. Luis, how you doing? Good to see you in the chat. Deron Evers think that 49ers turned Sam Darnold into a good quarterback? No. No, I don't. Um, maybe the light has come on for him, Deron, where Carolina was able to get him kind of taught how to play the position a little bit more safe, safely, still being productive, but restricting him on kind of the number of shots and chances that he's taking from the position, which may have been standing at a little bit of the head of why he had so many issues throughout his time with the Jets and Carolina and with the turnovers. Um, he's also maturing quarterbacks getting older and I think he's getting to the best version of himself wherever that land and that's certainly a better version of him drawn than what he was for instance with the Jets uh, he's got a lot to work with and and put him in a position to be successful here with the Niners and that's going to help him there's no doubt about that so I don't think he's going to be bad there is he going to turn into a good quarterback in regards to your question can he turn into a top 15 quarterback with the Niners I don't know I don't know on that one. I've been pretty reticent with looking at Dan Darnold and seeing the potential in him like some have drawn. He's been one of those guys that you I would have put in the Wilson camp, Zach Wilson camp, or uh, you know Malik Willis a little bit. There are varying levels on these guys, but just I, that I look at them as quarterbacks and I go, I don't really get it. I don't see the attraction with this guy. He doesn't have a free and easy release. He's not able to throw any touch throws. He doesn't seem to be a very good processor on the football field. Um, he moves relatively well. He's got a pretty strong arm, I guess. But there's there's a lot of negative for me when I watch Sam Darnold. But there is that offset, Deron. This is why Purdy did so good last year, is that that Niner team puts you in a really good position to, to be successful. I think the one thing he's not going to have there in Niners that he did have in Carolina is I don't think that that line is as good from top to bottom with the Niners as that Carolina Panther line was last year. They lost Mike McGlinchey. Uh, Alex Mack retired last year. They haven't quite gotten that position fully filled out. Uh, Buford played pretty good for them as the rookie right guard for them last year. But I think there's still a lot of question marks across that offensive line. And any quarterback, if you've got questions on an offensive line, especially when it comes to pass protection, then that could end up inhibiting a little bit of your top end as a quarterback from a production standpoint. Megan says, the only way Caleb uh, drops off if he gets a serious injury, you got my scouting report, didn't you? I did, I did. Um, and you're, you may be right with it. You may be right. Um, I just know that we we do need this next year still does matter. Like the, the hay is not necessarily in the barn for Caleb yet as far as cementing his position as a the number one overall pick, you know. Um, it, it, he's got 12, 13 more games he's going to play this upcoming season, which will determine as much as any other film prior where he kind of heads a bit. Um, but even if he's not the number one overall pick, he would still be a first-round pick. Just there is a, there's an opening here for some variance on him if he has a little bit of a lackluster performance this year. But I don't anticipate that to happen, Megan. So I'm not, I, I'm not believing that's going to be the case. 
Greg says, if Jamal Adams has at least three or four more really good years, is he in Canton? I don't think so. He probably needs like more like five to six more really good years. Uh, we're talking three, three all pros, four pro bowls. So I'd give him like, I think what, four or five all pros, six pro bowls. You know, he'd be somewhat close, but I think he would still have to give at least another year or two on top of that grug. It's hard for the safeties to get in. Paul Malus and your Ed Reeds get in, but it's hard for the other guys to get in there. And he's had certainly a little bit of a three-year dip in the career at this point. Grug says, I saw Tariq wasn't in practice today. Any news on what might have happened with him and if it's why they signed a cornerback? I don't think it's uh, to do with anything with them signing a quarterback, Greg. I think they signed the cornerback just because they, they're trying to round out the competition at the position. And you do have five deep right now, but it's six, seven, eight. You aren't exactly, not that it's hard to get strong at those spots, but you're not necessarily as legitimate at those spots when it comes to training camp battles and you know, you've kind of opened the door to where these five guys, Witherspoon, Tariq, Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown, and Mike Jackson just make the roster, right? And so there's probably a little, you're just bringing him in, I think, as much to get the competition up there at the position. Uh, I don't think there's a lot. I don't take very much away from Tariq not being there. I haven't heard any story of there being an injury or anything like that, holding him back, or preventing him. It is um, optional these OTAs, you know, they're elective for the players. Coaches would love to have them. It's probably better for the team if they were there, but at the end of the day, they are elective. And so I, you know, if you don't have to be there, then you don't have to be there, you know, and he probably feels like my performance stands for itself and I'll be ready to go come season. So at the end of the day, however they get there, that's the thing that matters most to us. Um, I also think his job is not as intricate or tough to know what he needs to do, especially given the kind of coverages we run, Greg, where we run so many of the similar types of coverages. He's going to run so much man next year. His job's essentially going to be like, stay sticky with this guy. More than it's, you know, read the offensive front, read this here, read that there. We're going to run this intricate blitz style over here on this, and then you're going to be over here running that. You're going to drop into a cover three, but then you're going to peel off that into a cover four, and then you're going to start out man, but then you're going to slide into the, you know, I don't think they're going to do a lot of that intricate type of stuff some teams would do that might require more of them in the building for the, onboarding of that stuff either we run it pretty pretty simple and straightforward Vegas is Kingsbury and Riley would be an interesting combination at USC don't you think <laughs> my big Kingsbury guy I mean he's going to a great spot for him to look good because he can sit on the back of he can ride on the back of Riley's offense and look like you know he looks great you know at that point it makes him look like oh I was a big key part of this you know well it was great before you arrived uh, Kingsbury to me has always been a coach that's been a little bit overrated in his view of of how people look at him. And uh, he has been also a guy that's kind of somewhat failed upwards throughout the course of his career as a coach. So I, I don't find myself with Kingsbury feeling like he's going to add a lot to USC. But he's got a lot of people out there that like him a bunch, I guess. Avery Allred, did you hear about they're allowing a third quarterback in the active roster for games that doesn't count against your 53-man roster? I did, and I like to see it, Avery. I like to see it. There's no reason we should ever have a position or time in a game where a team has to call upon a position player to play the quarterback position. It's silly for the NFL. There are only 17 games in a season. You want to make sure that you're putting the best product out for each and individual, every individual one of those games. And if you have 
a team decimated at the quarterback position as far as they're where they're at, then you, there shouldn't be a reason to just have two guys. So smart of the NFL to allow it. It's good. It's going to help out the NFL, I think. Uh, and we'll avoid a situation like what happened to the Niners last, last year where McCaffrey was warming up for them in the playoffs and taking snaps as a quarterback. Brendan M., it's funny how the Niner fans are already willing to move on from Lance even though they've only seen him play like two games. Like, give the guy a chance, laughing out loud. I thought the very same thing, Brendan. Um, and I've, I've been on with a couple times with the uh, Niner fans and Niner channels and talking to them about this stuff. And um, it's been very interesting to watch even just during this offseason, the worm turn in their fan base from the Brockites to the Lanceites to the Darnoldites. You know, it's, it's like almost split three ways evenly, like between who feels who should do what. But I don't understand the final conclusions come to on Trey Lance from some of the Niner fans where they've made this ultimate determination about him based on that small sample size like you talked about, especially since last year he didn't get injured playing being stupid in how he played the position. He got injured because his coach was stupid in the play calls that he was making. And that's why he got hurt. And um, so I, I think Lance still has some potential. And um, I, it'll be interesting to see the, if the Niners do move off of him because there's still a little bit of chirping out there that they may just, especially once they realize, once they are secure with the fact Brock's coming back this year and then he's going to be able to go. There is a little thought process out there that they might just move him at that point the second that they come to find that that's what's going to go down. And I think it'll be a mistake for them to do so. I don't think they're going to be happy with their quarterback position long-term when that goes down, if it does. Avery Allred, I love how all these rookies talk about Pete always brings out the best in the rooks. That's his bread and butter, man. That's where he's made his hay in his career. He's getting the most out of the youngest roster. We were the youngest team in NFL history with our collective age to win a Super Bowl. Our average age at the mean standpoint was lower than any other team in NFL history to go win a Super Bowl. And when you put that together with his success at USC and getting the most out of those young rosters, he didn't go to USC when it was a powerhouse. He built it into a powerhouse. And how did he build the powerhouse? By going out there and getting these big-time recruits and saying, hey, you got a chance to play for this team this year. You can come in here and go. You can compete. You're going to fight it out. I'm going to get some good, talented guys around you, but you have a chance. If you're the best, you're going you're gonna to win it out. And he got him aboard and he got him playing and he got him playing well. Greg's is such a shame. I hate when great talents get destroyed by injuries. Me too, man. It's a sad thing. Megan says, I, there's no way Caleb drops off, but I do agree that we need another year to see where he goes, but I will be surprised if he doesn't go top three IMO. I would be too. I would be too. Um, but, but there has been, let's acknowledge too, Megan, as great as he was last year, as much as I expected to, to balance that back out, we have to acknowledge within given recent history that there are quarterbacks that go out and have a year and then they're expected to be this and then they don't become that or they had a really good year and then they fall back off, not as strong, you know, and that, that that's then going to impact the way the NFL looks at him. Like I, I gave you the example of Levis, but there's other examples that we can go through in recent years. Spencer Rattler, the thing there's going to be a number one overall pick then he ended up transferring after the year. K.J. Jefferson, there was, you remember some of the debates last year about K.J. Jefferson and Will Levis. I remember having a back and forth with a lot of different people who were trying to tell me K.J. Jefferson was better than Will Levis. And I'm like, no, he's not. You know, who went into this last year's draft? Who ended up going back to school, right? So it's, and, and that's because K.J. went out and didn't have as good a year out there in Arkansas this last year. 
You know, he didn't cement his spot. Len Cage, and I know Levis didn't have a very good year either, but Levis is just a better viewed prospect. So it's it's just that this can happen to guys at times. I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but it's just an acknowledgement that it does occur on these these quarterbacks. And it has happened a lot in recent years where there's a big fluctuation at time year to year on performance level at the position. I'm not a huge uh, Kingsbury fan either. Love Lincoln, as you know, but it will be interesting to see how they work together. I mean, it will, for sure. 100% for sure on that one. I think they'll be fine. They they both run the same kind of offense. Have yourself a good night, Megan. Avery Allred says, what's your favorite, uh, Jamal? And you have a good one, uh, Megan. I'll, we'll be getting back to you within two days on the thing. Brendan M says, Hawks trade for Lance. Um, I'd be down to do it at Brendan M. I mean, I'll put my, I'll put my money where my mouth is in my faith and trust in the kid. I love them coming out, but this has been something I've been consistent about with Trey Lance when he did come out. When I said this, it, okay, I love this kid's potential. I love his upside. And I think he's, he can get to that upside, but you're going to have to wait a couple of years for him to get there. And if you can build in that patience and wait that time, then you're going to have a really good quarterback. But if you get impatient, you're going to force him on the field, you're going to have him develop bad habits and, you know, get him injured by taking unnecessary hits, you're going to affect a little bit of his development at that point, in my opinion. He had just come off a year where he hadn't played the whole year due to the vid protocols shutting down the season for, I think it was South Dakota. So he was 20 years old coming to the league on top of that. You had to give him that time. You had to give him the time to mature. And if they can give that time, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing. But the, of course, the part about this is that there's just no way. There's no way, Brendan, that the, uh, the Niners would trade us a quarterback within the division that might end up being our franchise quarterback. You know, that works out for us if we end up having him shine. It's a horrible look for uh, Lynch out there. Avery Allred, what was your favorite Jamal Adams game? Mine was either the Patriots or the Falcons. I think the Falcons game probably showed off all of the bets, all of the attributes that encompass Jamal Adams' game, where you saw him doing everything on the football field from hitting to sacking to um, playing the run game as a, do- as a dominant defender in that aspect of things. I think that one showed him off the best, but my favorite game of him ever already is going to be the Niner game uh, on the road, I believe, not last year, but well, obviously not last year, but the year before. And that was a game where, to me, he was, again, showing you now not only what he could do as a run defender and a hitter, and he wasn't, I think, doing as much of the pressure-based stuff in that game, but what he was doing is they were taking him out of that cover two stuff and cover three stuff and allowing him to, to more lock in on the running backs and really specifically on George Kittle. And when you saw him matched up on George Kittle in that game, I felt like you really got an opportunity then to see what he could do in coverage situations when so much of the fan base had knocked him in that realm of things. Jamal can cover. Jamal was the fourth best coverage safety coming out of college football the year he was drafted. It's not a matter of not that he can cover or not. It's a matter of, do you put him in cover two situations or do you get him down near the box? Do you put him in a single high situations or do you get him on a, a mash, matched up man, man on man on a, on a tight end or on a running back? And that's really the difference there. That's, that's the most important part of it for me with Jamal. But um, probably that Niner game would be my favorite for him. Nick Craig says, do you think Kellen DeBoer has a chance to take the next step as a possible heir to Pete Carroll? Certainly. Certainly it's possible, Nick. Um, Trying to think about. I can't think of in really in a given history, Nick, where you have a college coach 
you know, let's say you have a college coach at Texas, and then uh, and then Jerry Jones calls up Texas and says, "Come on over here, Dallas." Right? I can't think of any ter- any place, Florida State having Bowden move on and then go to Miami Dolphins. Right? I can think of no time that that's ever occurred in NFL history where a local coach has been at the college and then he gets hired on up. But if Kellen goes out and does what he did last year and continues to build on what he did last year. Uh, He didn't come to that program where it was all well stocked up and everything was running right. You know, he's had to change the culture there and really get that thing in the right direction of it. So it certainly will put him as a possibility. I think he, he's going to, his star is going to rise and and can can continue to get brighter. Um, But it's hard to predict as necessarily the Seahawks fit with it just because I've never seen that happen before. I think too, Nick, if you have a new owner coming in, if we're going to anticipate this being a new owner is going to come in, um, a new owner is going to come in. And if they do move on from coach Carroll, I would probably anticipate Nick that that new owner is going to want to make a pretty big splash as far as the next head coach goes. If Kellen goes out and wins a national title or something, then he becomes definitely that splash kind of guy. If he just goes out and wins nine, 10 games or whatever in a given season and has really successful year college football wise, there may be more of a splashier guy that they go to gravitate towards a la like a Harbaugh type or like a Lincoln Riley type. Maybe if their, if their star was a little bit brighter in that respect of things, but it's in, it's impossible. I'm not putting out a possibility. It's, it's within the realm of reason, reasonability. Avery Alvarez says, I think people forget how big of a game changer Jamal is. He is a very big game changer. The key comes down to just his usage. And part of it's been Avery that some of the time that you've had Jamal here, you struggled to find the right usage point for him, to find the right role for him. And I think a lot of last year's change in the defense was specifically built around acknowledging, yes, recently we've not really acclimated this guy appropriately to what he does best. We've tried to force him into what we want him to do. And I think this last offseason, they kind of twisted that around a little bit and went, no, that's not the way this should work with us with players. It's not our job to, to have a player fit himself and force himself into our stuff. We want to want to get the most out of the player, you know, get maximize his natural physical gifts. And uh, certainly Jamal has those natural physical gifts. They haven't always been put in the best positions here in Seattle at times. There are these horrific moments like him matched up against Julian Edelman 50 yards down the field and Edelman catching the pass against the Patriots a couple years ago. Or Deshaun Jackson, I think on the Rams at home a couple years ago, completely lost as the ball's thrown in the air and Jamal doesn't know where the ball is, doesn't know where Deshaun is, you know, completely lost. He's got a couple of these moments. Cooper Cup in the playoffs a couple of years ago, down the field, 50 yards. Jamal's right there in coverage, there to make a play, there to intercept the ball, but not able to make the pick. And what you have in all three of those three situations is Jamal either in single high or in cover two. Single high or cover two. And they've got to remove that out of his usage. You can sprinkle it in with him. You can use it. He can do some of it from time to time. But so much of that one year was really built around them just sticking into cover two predominantly. And that's misusing Jamal. Megan says, very true, B. Uh, I truly believe Caleb will be the exception to the rule. I would love to see it. And, and look, he's, I've mentioned Megan, I do believe he's in that generational-like talent spot that I would put very few quarterbacks, that I do think he is in that realm of your Andrew Luck, Elway kind of type of guys. He's 6'1", so he doesn't have that, that pure size to him. That's maybe the one thing that's kind of missing. And the arm is really, really good. Um, but it is probably just short of like exceptional arm strength, right? It's just good, really, really good, strong arm. Um, but I, um, 
I think he is still in the realm of those guys in the way he plays the position. Uh, Avery says, I know this might be a dumb question. No dumb questions in here. But uh, why don't some elite college coaches like Saban never come to the NFL? Do they just like winning at the college level? It's a fantastic question, actually. Well, in fact, Nick Saban did come to the NFL, Avery. Uh, he did come to the NFL, and uh, it was a complete uh, crap show. If I'm, I'm, go, I'm going back into my memory banks. Bear with me on this one, but I believe he went to the Miami Dolphins. And as he went to the Dolphins, there was he wanted Drew Brees... And uh, he was locking horns. I think the Dolphins at the time had a real piece of work for a general manager. Like, I, I think you guys remember that general manager that asked Des Bryant if his mom was a prostitute or something. So, so like, I think he was locking horns with that guy. And um, he just said at one point to hell with it. <laughs> he said that this, the NFL is just not for me. So he was here for a hot minute. You, know, you have the same kind of situation from a guy named Bobby Petrino who went to the Falcons, I think, and just bailed out on them at one point to go coach. I think it was Louisville. Um, so there's certain guys that are, you know, just not, you know, Avery always built to get go to the NFL level. And there is a difference in the mentality and the and the and the player and um, the coachability and the willingness to be coached of the player you get at the college level versus the player you get at the pro level. Yeah, Nick Saban's a guy that's definitely cut off that old cloth of, you know, I'm gonna cherry, I'm gonna chew your butt out, but it's all in love. But it's a lot of like you're just gonna feel like you're just constantly getting your butt chewed out a bit. He's got a little bit of that old school style to him as a coach, and that stuff's less resonating at the NFL level anymore. It's those guys have been weeded out of the game in a lot of ways now. Where look at the guys being hired. It's younger guys, it's the hipper guys, the guys that can relate to these young kids. So the, it's just the old model of, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a, you know, I'm going to be a bit of a tyrant here in the way I run my team and I'm going to get my results. You just can't do that as much. And so a guy like Saban didn't work as well for him. Um, I think if you're a coach that has not, there's not a lot of guys I can think of at the college level that had a lot of college success who didn't eventually get their opportunity one way or another, Avery, at the pro level. Eventually, those guys go up there and they're going to get their chance. Um, there is those guys that do say Mac Strong is another guy that stayed, but was or not Mac uh, Mac Brown. Um, but the, but I was wondering those guys did they ever, were they ever quite good enough to get on the NFL's radar too? But most guys will move on if they're good enough. They will they will go to the next level. But what's when does the NFL determine they're good enough? When does the NFL determine that they've advanced enough as a coach to be ready for the big boys and the pros? Seems to be kind of an arbitrary an arbitrary can kind of like, it depends on the eye of the beholder, I guess, or the organization hiring the coach. Greg says, Clint Hurd said, losing Jamal kept them from running the D the way they wanted last year. Yeah, I agree, Greg. It makes sense. It seemed like they changed up a lot of the aggressiveness that we thought they were building into it last year through the off season. And then that stuff kind of got thrown out the door. And it was like, well, we lost the guy that was going to be at the centerpiece, centerpiece of this. It sucks that they hadn't, they didn't have another backup plan to Jamal, where you had to just toss out a kind of a lot of your defense. Then at that point, you would have. I would have liked to have said to him, "Well, like if it's all going to be built on Jamal, find a a guy with a commiserate skill set that can kind of do some of his stuff." Then at that point, so you don't just feel like you're you're dropping off a shelf. Now maybe they just couldn't get that done. You were forty four million dollars of dead money last year. You know you didn't have the money to, you know necessarily go out there and get that guy. But I, I would agree, Greg. That definitely matched up to what we saw from the field of them. 
um, where they were never really running any of the kind of blitz packages or stuff we thought they were going to run to help. Where Jamal got injured, it was on a blitz up the middle. You know, I don't know if you ran that same kind of play throughout the whole rest of the year and that, that kind of delayed blitz with the safety going right up the A-gap. Nick, yeah, Nick Saban did try the NFL, did not go well. Yeah, did not go well. Brian and uh, A. Wilson says, okay, B, I'm usually all about Hawk Talk, but tell me, why both Boston and L.A. getting smoked in these conference finals? I don't even watch the NBA, but ain't Braun equals to God to this generation? Sheesh. <laughs> well, the, uh, and, and I admittedly don't watch a lot of this stuff as in-depth, Brian, but I definitely casually, I kind of keep an eye on this stuff. Um, the Nuggets have been knocking on the door for a couple of years. They've been knocking on the door. They've got a well-built team. They've got a pretty deep team built to, to go out there and make this kind of run this given year like they're doing so. Um, when it comes to the the Lakers getting there, you know, Lakers had not at any point in time this year really were looked at as that team that was going to challenge anywhere, any way, shape, and form. It was kind of like maybe they can kind of stick, glue this thing together. LeBron's 38 years old. You know, he can't play like he once did, and he's got a lot of mileage off those tires. He just can't go like he once did. And Anthony Davis is good, but obviously another guy that's probably not all that in a bag of chips either. And they've got to kind of carry that load out there because they don't have the supporting cast around them with LA to make it work. They got some role players, but it's not a deep stacked unit. Certainly not like some of the LeBron teams that he had put together in recent, you know, other years where he had won the title. So they, they've kind of, to me, a little bit, Brian, overachieved this year of the Lakers, especially where they started with Westbrook there at the start of the offseason or the start of the season where he was an albatross for them and nowhere near looking like a good fit with them, uh, with AD and LeBron. Um, with Boston, they're a little harder for me to understand necessarily because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum should be sliding right into their primes and working off of each other as a one-two combo that will be just about unstoppable at times. But uh, they've not gotten, taken that next step forward. Both, the, you know, Tatum has kind of as a player, but just not in when it's come to playoff time. Um, and then when you've got Jimmy Butler, the thing that stands out to me, Brian, is Jimmy Butler's was coasting. And this is part of the issue that goes on right now with the NBA. Why NBA has such a hard time of, of garnering the type of audience they possibly could garner is because the regular season doesn't matter. With the amount of teams that get into the playoffs, um, every, the players are well aware of it. The teams are well aware of it. You have something called load balance in the NFL, in the NBA. NBA where players will just rest, not be injured, not be completely healthy. We're just going to rest you tonight just for the hell of it. And so it's made the regular season games not really count. And so in Jimmy Butler, you have a guy that's obviously hit the cruise control button throughout the course of the year. He's like, just get me to the playoffs with this crew. And then I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to go from 90% to 100%. And he's playing out of his mind. You know, he's playing like a superstar right now, Brian, because he's saved that tank. And maybe it's because he he's able to play at this level because he saved that bit of the tank up. I think the NBA could um, help themselves out significantly by probably dropping back the number of games that they play, making the matter more, or pulling back the number of playoff teams that can make it, um, whatever you want to apply there. But yes, I think why that's probably happening right now as much as anything. Jimmy Butler's going ham. Jonah the Whale, how you doing, man? Good to see you in the chat. Mega says, uh, two days and counting. Uh, and you know, I want video as proof, B. <laughs> I very much. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, Brian A. Wilson, NFL owners go after college coaches when they get tired of the Gary Glanvilles. <laughs> Jerry Glanvilles of the world. 
Yeah, they eventually it goes in uh it goes in cycles to Brian's point. Um where you you know, you get it seems like all these hires come internally for a time being where it's all defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators and then you get one college coach with some success and then the rest of the NFL copies them and then there's a span of a lot of college coaches being plucked and pulled into the pro level. So it kind of just goes in cycles with that. Um Brendan, the Celtics are looking silly right now. You're right about that. Brian Wilson, okay, NBA, why not just cut the season to 50 games? That's what I think they should do. They're not going to lessen the amount of playoffs or playoff teams, which is fine. That's fine. I'm okay with the keeper. You want to let in a million playoff? Fine, do that. But then make the games count during the regular season. And the only way you can do that is by lowering it down. I don't think you can mandate to these players that they can play and not load balance because players can always invent an injury. They can always be like, oh, my calf's a little tight tonight. It's just, it's kind of acting up. What are you going to do? Well, uh, prove that it's not bothering him. Yeah. Greg, uh, Brandon, your point, uh, Brandon, to your point, that's why Clint Hurt said they're going after versatile safety so they don't get stuck like last year. It's great that they're, I, I always like Greg. There's the, I'll, I'll certainly hammer the team at times and they make mistakes. I'm probably guilty of doing that with them. But the place where I'll always say, if your approach is intelligent and you're, you've tried to do something ahead of things, I can't get mad at you. So for instance, Greg, you know, I've said, you've got to kind of overcome the, the beast mode curse. The beast mode curse is one where since he's left, your running back room gets, you know, wrecked. And you've got to do what you can do to stick four legitimate bodies in there of guys that have, have shouldered a load, shouldered a burden in the past, shown they're capable of doing so, building in a little bit of that injury protection. But if we go into this next year and you have your running back room get injured, I, I can't knock our Seahawks and be like, oh, you could have gotten, you could have avoided this. No, you couldn't. You did what you could to get ahead of that. Likewise with this one, Greg, you weren't in a position the year before to get that back versatile safety. You couldn't have signed a Julian Love two-year $12 million contract last offseason with the $44 million of dead money that you had on the books. So it's understandable that they didn't necessarily have, I would have liked of them the founder reserve, Greg, but I, I understand why they didn't. It's you you only can do so much. It is a finite amount. And and this is part of the the part where I get a little bit lamented about, you know, Russell leaving us with a little bit of that tough $26 million debt that he did on the books to to still have to clear out of. But good to see them this year when they do have the space to do it, when they do have the me, the means to do it, to then go and make that move to bring in that guy that, to your point, to like what you said, provides that versatility. Guy can play free, he can play strong, he can play um, slot. You know, you can move him all over the place. He's comfortable in each. Um, he can even blitz a little bit. And um, I love to see that they're doing that. It's very encouraging. Brian says, wow, you said what I was thinking about cutting the season a few games and twerking the playoffs. I like the NCAA tournament. I do too. I do too. And yeah, I think I, to me, the, I don't think they'll ever cut the playoff games down, Brian, because that's where the NBA is making the most money. That's where their viewership is highest all year round. But to me, where you cut back the number of games, this is where you could then accomplish that because now your viewership should go up. The games are going to matter more. You're going to have an audience that isn't just waiting for the playoffs to begin to start watching the games. They'll start watching throughout the course of the season. Um, I think that's one of the first and foremost things you could really do. There's probably some other things, Brian, on top. It doesn't have to just kind of start and end there, but that would be the first place that I think when you hear NBA legends talk about it, when you hear NBA players talk about their potential fixes, 
The cutting the season back a little bit seems to be one of the straightforward places that they go to. And it's one that makes a lot of sense to me as to why um, that could fix a lot of this. You know, why does the NBA need to be at 82 games a year? How did they arrive at that game? How did they arrive at that number? You know, I mean, it's it's obviously not football taxing and that you can only have 17 games a season. But is it half as less of taxing if you run it? Is it three times less as taxing? Or, or, or I guess a third less taxing, you know? Well, if it's a third less, then you'd want three times the games. That puts you up right around the 50 mark. That seems like the smart one to go. Uh, Megan says, you'll never live it down no matter where you go. But just remember, the unopened Largen cards are the prize. <laughs> Megan, Megan dangling that carrot right, right here in front of my nose. Dangling that Largen carrot right there in front of the nose. When Megan says, what size uh, jersey do you take, B? I need to order your Lamar jersey, B. <laughs> I don't know. My size is in fluctuation. I got a weird, I got weird shoulders. It makes ordering jerseys hard for me, Megan. I, ha- I got to go to like a custom tailor or something for him. I got to get the ones way too big. It looks like I'm wearing a tent or a, it's way too tight. Uh, Avery says, Brandon, do you remember the play against the Niners where Malik Turner made that awesome catch and had one of the nastiest spin moves I've seen? Vaguely? Kinda? Not really? A little bit? Must have missed that one of my coldest catches. I can't remember. Brian Wilson, okay, my uh, back to the net. Hawks. Uh, my bad, y'all. Trying to stay current. No, man, Brian, we're not under any uh, rules here on what we can talk about. You know, anything's in play. Anything's in fair play. Uh, Megan says, what size jersey do you take? Needs to order your Lamar jersey, B. <laughs> uh, Megan says, or was it a Zorn jersey that I was getting you? Or damn it, just get both along with the Kraken jersey. <laughs> well, the Kraken jersey's at the godforsaken prices, Megan. <laughs> they're, trying, they're trying to ask for a home uh, prices for those Kraken jerseys. Well, I got to pick between, between uh, uh, Lamar and Zorn. I'll still take Zorn over Lamar. I can't wear another jersey of another team. That goes against everything that everything that has built me as a as a Seahawks fan. Uh, why do I no chance they're cutting back the number of games? Just the opposite. We'll have a number eighteenth game in suit. Oh no! Why do I? We're talking about basketball. Basketball. Somebody's asking about what can fix that. Uh, why do I? Seattle will be. Seattle will win by running more 11 personnel and passing in neutral downs, then pin the ears back on defense and go after the quarterback, never taking the foot off the gas. So let it be written. So let it be so. So let it be done. I think it's so let it be so, wasn't it? So let it be. No, so let it be done. That's, you're right. You had it right. Why do I? But no, we, you're right. It's going to an 18 game season on that. We were talking about the basketball is going to 15 games, but yeah, NFL is speeding along towards 18 games. They, they want to get there. Megan says, what? Zorn over Largent? Zorn over Lamar? You heard that right, 12s. You did hear that right. G2000. I feel like a realistic best case scenario is we add four points per game and take four off of the defense improvement. Who would that stack up to last year? Great question. Let's take a look. So we got, you had four and four. 
Okay. So four is pretty significant on uh, both offense and defense. So defensively speaking, you allowed 23.6 points per game. If you took four points per game off, so now you're at 19.6. That would have put you as the fifth best scoring defense in the NFL. So that's that four points is uh, G2000. That's significant defensively. That takes you like from 26 to fourth, that four points. Uh, offensively speaking, So offensively speaking, you had twenty-three point nine points per game. So twenty-four points per game last year. So if you went four more, you'd be at twenty-eight point game, twenty-eight. And that would put you fourth. So fourth offensively, fifth respectively in both points scored and then points allowed. Uh, G2000. So that would be a significant improvement over last year. And if you're not, <coughs> you know, if you're putting up those numbers as far as the points you're scoring and the points you're allowing, that's a 13-win team at that point. Especially with the special teams that we're leading with on the show, on this top, this current show. You know, you're putting that special teams together with that now, with those two units performing at that level. I can't see how that's not a top. I, I don't, that would be Absolutely a team, 13 wins. They'd have to have like a lot of turnovers or be really bad at the run at that point uh, to not have that equate out to them being a division winner in contention for the number one bye. Uh, Jonathan Wells says, Lamar Jackson, can't stand that crybaby. I'm okay with them, but I'm always going to take a Seahawk over a Raven and could be the most lowly Seahawk. I take him over any rate, the best Raven. Mega says, I would give you uh, the $500 Kraken, uh, the Kraken Siaches jersey B. Oh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't blame you. That thing's worth gold. The prices you're paying for that, I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, actually gains value in the years. G2000, that is big. I, bigger than I thought when I looked at those numbers just now, G2000. I would have said, oh, yeah, you'll have about a 10. I would have said a 10, a 10 rung spot. 10 rung change, right? So if you're 29 defensively, then you're 18th, but that's, you're going, you're going from good to uh, amazing offensively. And then from defensively, you're going from bad to whoa. It is super significant at that point. Cause you're only at 24 points a game last year defensively. So four cause you're down or 23 nines, you're 19. Shows you how close the margins are, doesn't it? The margins between being good to great, bad to good. Good to average. Very, very small. Jonah Wells says, I'll take Dan McGuire quarterback jersey over Lamar. Ooh, that's that's a tough one, Jonah. That might challenge me on that one. I got a lot of unresolved anger towards Dan McGuire in that pick. A lot of I got some childhood anger on that one. I got some years of festering childhood bitterness about the Dan McGuire pick. Might almost be the one guy that I go. Might be the one guy that I'm willing to <laughs> go a different direction for. Uh, Megan says it's worth gold, and with our gorgeous Canadian silver-headed coaching God's name on the back, there's no chance in hell I'm giving you that bad boy. 
<laughs> giving that bad boy up. I bet not. I bet not. I can't blame you, Megan. Avery, who's going to be our kick returner and punt returner? McIntosh. My early guess, Kit Avery, would be either McIntosh or Dallas are your kick returners. When it comes to punt returner, I don't have the first idea or inkling. I, I checked. McIntosh did not do it in college. So this puts DJ Dallas and Tyler Lockett as your one-two right now, unless we have somebody on the roster that feels more capable in being able to pull it off, which I don't think you have. So probably... Those are the three names you're looking at all the way around on this one. Aiden says, here's one, Jim Zorn or Blair Walsh jersey. Jim Zorn. Jim, Jim was understandable coming in and the struggles of that team. He was coming on to an expansion franchise. Blair Walsh is just a complete nightmare. <laughs> It's a complete utter S show. Why do I? It seems there are a good many people thinking Seattle will see a bunch of too high. I believe JSN and passing can I believe JSN and passing pass catching running backs will make them drop the safety more, opening more deep shots. Thoughts? Yes, I think you are a hundred percent on the right track with this one. Um, I hundred uh, percent. Yes. Uh, I, I, it's that, or you're just going to let JSN feast all game. Why do I? Cause you can't have it both ways. Defensively, you can choose to take things away from an offense, but that's always going to be the expense of something else. The perfect defense does not exist. The defense that covers up everything, everywhere, all the time does not exist, even amongst the most talented defenses. Uh, it, and there's certainly not a defense in this national football league right now that can certainly lay claim to that. That's some historic defense that can do so. So how do you want to be how do you want to be killed? Death by a thousand cuts or just one rapier right through the heart with a DK or Tyler deep shot? And that is what's going to happen. Why do I? His teams will start out playing the cover two, cover two, cover two, JSN eating, JSN eating, JSN eating, out to the backs, out to the backs, JSN eating, JSN eating. Now they go, oh hell, we got to drive a little bit more of these coverages up a little bit tighter. You know, we got to run these a little bit more, bring the quarter coverage up a little bit more further. And then that's going to take away those double teams over the top. And then the second that that happens, now your guys on the outside are really going to get dangerous. But you got to force you got to force defenses into doing it. And the reason why they stay in the cover two right now, this the reason why they bracket Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf at the high rate that they do, is because in the past they haven't trusted your quarterbacks or your offense to consistently hit those underneath plays, to consistently go to those running backs. They want to see you do it first. But the second we start doing it to him, then we've got him in that bind and there is no answer. Jonas is Dan McGuire or LJ Collier. <laughs> Collier. Dan was just a, come on, you know. Collier's the back of the first round. Dan was like top 15. Brandon, and when does Dixon's contract come up? think you've got him for three more years at least two maybe three more years he just signed that extension i think last year ethan says can we get a punt returner who isn't scared to death to catch it as far as i'm concerned we have cam young do it because all of our punt returners do is let the ball hit the ground <laughs> yeah i'd like to have a guy do it man but i don't have a good prediction for who's going to be the one to do it um you could find one theoretically but the punt return game has been one that's been neutralized because the punters have gotten so good that if you look at punt returns in the last 10 years, 
and and its average across the league it's gone down and down and down and it's become less and less more less important in the game than ever before so there's those specialists that used to be everywhere out along the edges of the league even when they weren't on an active roster are no longer around and so you have to try to manufacture a guy that can get it done and our manufacturer guys like Dallas just can't do it very well Avery Allred, who has been your all-time favorite draft prospect, even if the player didn't pan out? Ooh, good question. All-time favorite draft prospect. Hmm. That's a really good question. It's a really good question. Man. I would probably go to a couple guys. So I don't have a I don't have a number one name that stands out here, Avery. Um, but let me give you a couple select guys over the over the years that I think would fit into this mark that were guys that I just really, really liked coming out. Um, and I was so excited about their potential. One would be Steve Entman, because I, I watched every single one of those games of UW in the, in the championship year they had 90 and, and how he played. And he would demolish three blockers in college. The guy was absurd, absurdly good. And he was the number one overall pick. He just went to a team that was playing on AstroTurf and destroyed his knee. And that was all she wrote. But that man was... Um, absolutely freakish in his ability. Um, Warren Sapp was one of those guys coming out back in the day that I had, a, even as a young kid, I had a lot. I was like, this guy's going to be so good. And then I had another name I was going to, oh, Adrian Peterson coming out of Oklahoma. If you watched, if you watched Adrian, Adrian Peterson in Oklahoma and you didn't come away from that tape going, there's something different about this particular running back. I don't know what you were watching because the guy was just a man amongst boys in college and you could just see how awesome he was going to be at the pro level. It was, it was really undeniable in so many, so many respects. Those would be probably my main ones I'd go to. Spencer Smith, what's up, man? Good to see you. You don't know what else is the gross. Mark McGuire, no. Megan, no people don't speak that name. <laughs> oh, Ethan says, I swear Dallas either let the ball drop or called a fair catch with no one in 15-yard vicinity. Yeah, he had a hard time. The, the thing that was obvious about Dallas that I, I don't want to have him out there, just put Tyler out there at least if you got to, is he just does not track the ball well in the air, and then he does not feel comfortable either going forward or going back on the ball. He wants to be at the position of where the ball is coming in, where he sets up at. And that's not how it works with the punt return game. you got to be on the fly willing to, if it's a short punt, get up 15 yards, get down to where you're dragging on your knees and do that cradle catch thing you do off of a fair catch, right? But that's what teams were realizing with him as he was getting such depth, they would just kick it in front of him and then just roll it for 50, 55 yards. And uh, Dallas is not comfortable doing it, that's for sure. Spencer says, just joined, so I'm sure it's been discussed some by now, but do we trust Kenny McIntosh to handle a decent share of the returner duties in year one? He has the hands to become a very consistent in fielding, I think. 
Uh, I certainly do when it comes to kick returning Spencer Smith, but then kick returning is not really the biggest worry we have on the team. Uh, Dallas can do kick returning well if you don't have Oogaboogie come back. Godwin Oogaboogie, the guy that was really good for us last year. So you have a guy back there that can do it other than McIntosh that did it well, I think, did plus plus 15-like level last when he was in there as a kick returner. McIntosh has done some of it at Georgia, Spencer, so he's got it in his bag to be able to do those kick returns. He did not do any of the punt return game. So I don't know. It's definitely a question that's being asked quite a bit in just this stream alone, Spencer, of who's going to be our punt returner. And nobody knows the answer on that right now. There's not a clear punt returner on the roster that makes a lot of sense. And there's not a guy that they drafted in this last draft that definitely has that in their bag. Jake Bobo, Matt Landers, two of the receivers that you have as undrafted rookie free agents, those guys are not going to be punt returners. So there's really just no, there's no clarity as to who's going to be that guy right now. Not, not at all. Uh, the the Tad NM says, uh, got to be Marshawn as a running back, as, as a, a prospect coming out. He was a fun guy. Coming out of Cal. Jonah, let's have Tyler Lockie catch the ball and then he can throw it to one of the running backs laughing out loud uh, because my man is right. Our guys don't feel, feel puns very well these days. <laughs> it's, it was brutal last year. In Dallas especially, it was just hor- horrific. I, the problem comes down to, I think, on this is that the specialist aspect. 20 years ago, punt returning mattered so much more. And the punters had a lot less control over the football. There was a lot more of a potential of having a game-busting kind of play where you were getting returns back as far as that goes. It's become limited, so the call and the need for the specialist has been reduced with it. And that just means that it just isn't as good, you know, from a position standpoint. Uh, By the way, folks, we are going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up because I'm going to be bearing over to my Mariners channel here. So we're going to put just a button on this here pretty soon as I'm going to be streaming over on my Mariners channel tonight for our M's on the Crow's Nest. So if you guys want to, we can bounce bounce with me over there, but we'll be uh, be putting a bit of a button on this one today. Why do I laugh my ass off? Uh, my answer is always Barry Sanders. Uh, who's your favorite running back? Barry, NFL player, Barry. Favorite college player, Barry. Favorite prospect, Barry. He's my everything. <laughs> Those are like song lyrics, why do I? You need to put that into a, a verse, you know? Uh, those all just go together so well. My favorite, Barry. That could be your song. Um, I'm with you on the Barry Sanders one. It was right at the spot for me, why do I? When he was coming out of college, where I was still really young and I was watching football and I remember him coming out of Oklahoma State and, and a lot of college football I would watch at that time, but I hadn't really quite gotten to that stage of like, you're actually evaluating these guys and is this guy better than this guy? Or you could see there was something different about him, but there wasn't that, I, I wasn't old enough to quite have that all lock in. I need a couple more years, but he was the truth out there at Oklahoma State, no doubt about it. Why do I say, yep, rules have made returns a near non-factor. That's where I come down to why do I, if I can just find a guy to fair catch it. If you kick it 55 yards and you boom it and I, you know, got a fair fine. If you have that short stuff like with DJ Dallas last year and I need the guy that can run up, slide on his knees, fair catch it, and then just reel it in, fine. Give me that guy. Give me the guy at least that can just sure hand it. He's not going to let it bounce in front of him. Um, I can rely on those hands, you know. Give me that. Because I think it's going to be hard to find a guy that's going to do much to be a difference maker with it. Avery Allred says, what's the Mariners channel? My Mariners channel is the crow's nest. The crow's nest. So like the hawk's nest, but the crow's. The crow's nest. Avery fire up in the crow's nest. Like a noon. 
at the Mariners playing them there. Spencer Smith, Brandon, just wanted to offer you an update on my project. Rumble Podcast is officially in the works, just needs edited. We've uh, recorded two so far, two division breakdowns, AFC North and AFC South so far. Hell yeah, man. Get it. Get it, Spencer. Get it. Um, I'll, I'll check out, man. If you got that live and stuff, I'll go look up the channel. Rumbler Podcast. I'm riding right down here. Rumbling, 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 rumbling podcast. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, looks like we've got the last of the questions on in. Ethan says, hey, Brandon, you have the UF UW offensive juggernaut prospects on your 2024 scouting list, right? Uh, I haven't. So I'm definitely in that place where I'm taking the, because I'm still finishing up with the UDFAs, Ethan. So once I get through the UDFAs, um, I'll be doing more of the the scouting to the 2024. But yeah, I think the goal here is going to especially be to, to try to get out ahead of these prospects faster and more ahead of time than ever before, Ethan. Um, so it's that's really want to try to get the view on these guys quicker and where it's not always into the off season where I'm really looking at them for the first time. So uh, I'll certainly be looking at these guys. Aduzier, you know, I have a couple of Mario Penix, Aduzier I've looked at. Um, the middle linebacker I've already looked at, Ethan. I like him a lot. He's really fast. So a couple of these guys I've already taken a, a peek at, but there'll be a few others. And you better believe I'll dive into all of them. Uh, Spencer says, also, oh, uh, am I welcome in the Crow's Nest streams even if I'm very little about baseball? Mariners are my team, but uh, I'm way too football basketball obsessed. Absolutely, man. All are welcome over there, brother. All are welcome over there at the Crow's Nest. So please do. Please uh, please do jump over there. But uh, yeah, we are going to be bopping over there. Uh, my goal is to try to get... Uh, Trying to get to 80 games this year over on the Crow's Nest. So we're about like eight or nine in. So I've got a little bit of ground to make up on that side of things. But uh, I will be definitely streaming a lot over over onto there. Uh, we will be back here. I will be back either on Wednesday or for Thursday. For sure Thursday. Brendan's going to be over here on uh, this channel. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the back half of the draft. Rounds four. Yeah, because we trade out of the third. So rounds four through seven. We're going to be doing kind of a deep dive on these guys like we did on his channel last week. And we'll be doing that this next week here on Thursday uh, on my channel. I might be back on Wednesday as well. I'm going to be trying to shoot for that because I want to try to get my shows back on point with the timeline on it. So we'll be getting that figured out. But uh, if you're looking to bounce back here, we'll be over on the Crow's Nest. We can talk some more Seahawks over there. Talk baseball. Either way it goes. Either way, I appreciate you guys. And thank you again just to everyone out there. It's amazing, guys. We're in the offseason. I've had prior offseasons where channels have just fallen off. We're not able to get very much viewership. Nobody's watching. This year has been so different. And the amount of growth the last 30 days alone just through the draft was just amazing on this channel. We are really far ahead of our goals for this year. We're right on track for that 15,000. We're going to fly past that mark this year. Thank you to all of you guys out there that subbed up. I know it's a bit of a thing to sub up. Do I want to sub? Am I going to get my feed filled up? But thank you to all of you guys that have joined the Hawks Nest recently through this offseason, along with my late long timers, uh, my OGs that are in the channel as well. Really great to see the growth on this channel as we're growing and going to some real wonderful areas. And uh, I really do appreciate all the love. You guys have also been really kind in the comments and the feedback from the videos, be it the draft videos or the coldest catches videos from yesterday. I want to say thank you to all of you guys on that. It just, uh, it does nothing but encourage me to just do more and go forward, go harder with it. So uh, thank you guys all that. You guys keep me steaming along and I really do appreciate it. Uh, we will see you guys over the crow's nest back over there in about 10 minutes. Other than that, maybe back Wednesday, maybe back Thursday, either way. 
Until I can get back, please don't you ever forget. We got an elite season on the forefront here. We got an elite season on the horizon here. Are you ready? Have you gotten yourself out of the rebuild mindset yet? If not, get on up. The time is now. We don't wait in Seattle. We've created a standard here of winning over this last 20-year period. We don't rebuild, we reload. So slide those bullets into that gun, cock that hammer back, and let's get ready to get to an elite season. So if you need me to remind you, I'll remind you, and I'll remind you every single stream until we get to the regular season. We ain't waiting here. We don't wait. We ain't patient here. That's not what winners do. We want this now. So Niners, Eagles, you thought you had some time. Thought you could put your hands back, paddle your way along through the NFC and your dominance. Those days are over. Those days are through. No more easy walks through the thicket. Now we're coming for you. So I hope my fellow 12s are ready for that. I hope you're ready to take advantage of this year. I hope you're ready to be elite this year. I hope when we walk in that stadium, there's no quiet voices. Those are loud voices. Those are roaring voices. Those are like the 12s were 10 years ago. That's what this team needs to help get itself to an elite state. A great offense, middle-of-the-road defense, and a fantastic special teams will help. But the 12s are going to be needed as well. Let's not forget that too. Until I get back next time, please don't forget. Don't you ever forget. Especially for a beautiful upcoming season. Go Hawks!